Warning, what you're about to hear was intended to make you laugh a lot. If you listen to the show and feel inspired, then that's awesome. But if you're easily offended and just can't take a joke, you should turn this off right now. Otherwise, turn this shit up and hang on. Welcome to the Get Up. Just like that, we're live. Well, as live as pre-recording can be. Smooth. Welcome entrance. to the Get Up. I'm your host JP. With me today, I have Mr. Mike Cotter. Right, saying that right? Correct. Awesome. And Mike uh, is. So we were talking about it before we started, and then I'll, I'll explain a little bit, and then you can introduce everything, plug all your stuff too. I'm not very funny though. Your intro <laughs> says that you've uh, got to be funny. Yeah, I don't have to be funny. I'm looking for yeah, interesting conversation. Yeah. We're not laughing. Uh, I'm sure we're going to end up having <laughs>, laughs. But um, so Mike is into powered paragliding, which is something that I recently discovered over the last couple months when I was driving down the freeway on my way to go get groceries. And I saw what looked like a giant fan with a harness. Uh, strapped to the back of an old car driving down the freeway <laughs> and I was like what the hell is that so picture like a huge fan um, not fan boat size fan but pretty big bigger than your average fan uh, with a harness to it and that was like who in their right mind is strapping themselves to a fan so through a lot of Google searches that I can't remember what the hell I searched for we were actually just talking about that too like the actual search term but it was uh it's powered paragliding or paramotoring, which is basically flying around with an open parachute and using the fan to propel yourself <clears throat> instead of riding thermals and everything. Like that's uh, paragliding's been a big sport in Europe for a long time because they got all the mountains to jump off of and stuff. But you ride the thermals, right? Like up and down, uh, and you can glide for a really long time. But now this adds in the powered fan, which actually you can just run and take off. Or people will use uh, trikes and stuff too. I've seen, which I, I didn't. It amazes me that the parachutes can hold that much weight for one of those trikes. But then you can just fly around. And what was even crazier to me is like, there's no licensing. Like you don't have to have like any really pre requirements besides just being crazy enough to go up in the air. Uh, and <clears throat> I'm really interested in this. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because my, my girlfriend and my kids are really mad at me because I was like, you know what? In five years, I think I'm going to be able to get this equipment and jump into this sport. <clears throat> and my girlfriend's like, you're crazy. You're just trying to leave me. You're just looking for ways to leave me early, huh? Is it that bad? My son calls it uh, hillbilly jetpacks. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so Mike, when I, in my journeys of looking up how to even train in this, because it is advised to learn how to train because there's a lot of techniques uh, kiting your your uh, parachute before you even start throwing the motor in. There's a lot of stuff to learn. So in looking for where to learn, Mr. Mike Cotter here is like uh, one of the, the trainers in the local Detroit area. And uh, I invited him out because it's something that's super interesting to me. And I'd never heard of it. A lot of people never heard of it. Right. 
so Mike, explain what you got going on. Uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate no it. Pro- thanks for coming out. Yeah, of course. Um, I love talking butt fans. And the fact that you... Yeah, uh, that's the other name, right? Butt fans? <laughs> butt fans. I do have to uh, correct you on your terminology of the oh, wing, okay. the parachute. It's uh, it's actually a wing. wing. Yeah, right. a wing. It's more like an airfoil than it is uh, an actual parachute. So, But, um, yeah, so I started power paragliding in 2015. Okay. And I... Uh, Prior to that, so I it's actually, not that long ago. No, it was five years ago. February, yeah. Five years ago, February. So I went down and you trained. started. You started. Well, so you, when you say you went down and trained, you went down to yeah, Florida. Florida. Yeah, I know that's really big. Like uh, on the, they'll train on the coast and stuff on the beaches and everything, right? Um, you know what? Most of the Florida schools are inland. Okay. Um, uh, they do that just because there's there is a lot of regulations and the fact that uh, people flying on a beach you're gonna be flying overs and as a new student it's probably not the best gotcha. place to do it you just want to have a big open area area yeah less trees right know, uh, yeah no water no <laughs> obstacles yeah, no hotels no water is like seems to be a big thing right like try to stay away from water because yeah from what i was reading that's like it's a leading cause yeah of the death. leading cause of death is people going into the water and, and i've actually seen a couple videos where the schools are trying to train people for that yeah for yeah 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 which does that ruin the motor no, actually, yep. believe it or not, you can pull the motor out, and uh, obviously you got to do the right things to, to make sure all the salt, and, or if it is salt water, or right. water is out of the engine, and they just clear it out and, uh, you know, literally wash it through and let it dry out, and you can restart it wow. as soon as it's dried out. So you went so. down to Florida, a train. So yeah, so I went down to Florida in February of 2015, <laughs> flew with, or uh, trained with a gentleman named Don Jordan. Okay. And uh, Don was awesome. He uh, he basically had me running up and down a soccer field for about six to eight days straight, <laughs> 90 <laughs> degrees, 100% humidity. Called the. Oh uh, man. It was yeah, it was kind of like my in shape boot fat camp. Right. But I ended up uh, gaining another skill too, as far as power paragliding. And when I came back, obviously lived living in Michigan, um, I had all my gear sitting in my foyer in my house, and I'm just looking at it and lo- watching the weather, and looking at it, and watching the weather, and I think it was probably gosh march april end of april is when i probably was able to get back to it and as soon as i did um i just never stopped so now when when you went down and trained did you get all your own equipment to go down and train or did they have stuff for you to use the train like at what point did you acquire your own because that's one of the other parts right is is the cost of getting into it while relatively cheap compared to pretty much any other way of flying right. i mean it's still a, an investment right. from from everything i priced out it's about what eight to ten thousand dollars to get into more i would <clears> say <throat> more in the lines of 12 um well, for if, new gear for okay for brand new, new equipment yeah and if you're talking accessories too people right. never think about accessories yeah. like helmets and comms and yeah. you know floats for you know buoyancy yep. and heated, water and heated gloves are a heated popular gloves. one for michigan i, yeah. I see <laughs> yeah exactly you know? so many videos oh man the batteries died <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> on Literally. My I mean, there's a there's a number of things that you need to have, and so I would say twelve is is a safe number to uh, gotcha. to put. That's not even including for. training. No, it's not including the training. Right. Um, but you got to think about it. I mean, what does a new motorcycle cost? Right. What does a new boat cost yeah. for somebody? A fishing boat. What does yep. a golf membership cost? And if you think about it in that terms, then it's actually relatively reasonable right no it and is it's the safest form of flight that's out there 
as far as um i, I keep trying to tell that to my girlfriend <laughs> it's easy <laughs> Just... like look babe if something happens to the motor i'm already in a parachute <laughs> right yeah. no a wing <laughs> right wing. right it's a wing yeah <clears throat> parachute for the the general layman's i you know term idea but yeah it is it yeah. is a wing but uh that was one of the things i tried to sell to him like look yeah. it's a controlled descent if the motor does stop working and i can't get it to restart in the air like yep. you just glide down it's just a it's an inconvenience of what is what it is right. as long as you are cognizant enough to look at your area and making sure that if your engine right. does go out you've got a, and that's a and that's spot. one of the things that i've seen preached a lot too right is always having like a landing spot picked whenever you're up in the air so 100%. that way if something happens you know i'm aiming for this spot right here 100 percent. i've had 17 motor outs really so far in my career of oh. five years of flying I fly a lot though. Do you? But, uh, yeah. How often do you fly? As soon as much as, as I possibly much can. As possibly. Yeah. Now that I'm instructor, it's not as often, um, because you're with the students when it's uh, the nice weather and when it's peak times to fly. Right. But you know that's got its rewards as well. And where do you fly out of? So I used to fly a lot out of uh, kind of the Commerce uh, area, South Line area, okay, um, Heartland area. All right. And now that I've got our school, which is up in it's just about nine miles northwest of Lansing, and it's out in an area that is just pasture and, and, and farmland. Oh my God, it's yeah. amazing! Lavender fields. Really? Um, yeah, it's got to look really cool when it, when it blooms. You get down low, and you can actually smell. smell it. I mean, it's just absolutely. It's unbelievable. So not as only just beautiful and safe, but it's got so many little. Um, you know, pluses to right. the area as far as flying. Well, the scenery, right? Yeah, flying. right. And there's there's nothing. So if you get in trouble and have an engine out or something like that, I mean, it's no big deal. It's just an inconvenience. Right. Whereas now, kind of in the commerce area, I flew there, gosh, it was like three weeks ago, and literally a uh, Chinook went over our heads um, coming from the Pontiac Airport. Really? At like 500 feet, and I had landed probably, geez, I don't know, two minutes prior and then see and that's and the that's the, the thing like you know my girlfriend worries about it's like oh what about the planes and stuff right and it was like i know there's some like designated areas where you're just not supposed to fly over airspace you right? gotta, the, you gotta, you gotta know your airspace is right yep uh is there is there a, um i know there's like an equipment sometimes max uh of where you, how high you can go elevation but like what is the is there a regulation for how high you go is it like five Eight thousand feet, 8, or excuse me, eighteen thousand feet is what uh, That's a we're allowed scary to fly. Number. It's stupid. I mean, it's cold and lonely <laughs> it's up a there. Scary ass number, though, isn't it? <laughs> like, plus, you can't think, breathe. Like, eighteen thousand yeah. feet up there. What the hell? Yeah, you got to bring supplemental <clears throat> oxygen. What do you, what do you think you know? the average is that people fly up to? Uh, about three inches, <laughs> literally over the ground. I mean, yeah. foot dragging. Literally, this sport, I would say, on average, the newbies are flying. We recommend keep up at, at least a thousand feet, um, yeah. just to be safe and stuff. But right. as you gain. Um, your confidence and you start growing in your skill level, you know, a lot of people will just follow the contours of, you know, farmlands right. or, you know, buzzing around uh, just open I've, fields. I've seen like over rivers and stuff too. Yep. Yeah. No, yep. It's, it's, it's so crazy. It looks What's so, awesome. so fun. It's seriously, I mean, it's like you're flying in an area that is three dimensions that you can be down literally an inch off the surface of the earth and just hold that altitude for miles. Right. If the landscape provides right. that. So, and then, or you can jump up to say 3000 feet and get a 
just a nice bird's eye view of everybody. I'll tell you what's crazy is, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, I follow on Instagram and stuff, quite a few different paramotoring accounts now. Yeah. Who, you know, I I don't know off the top of my head. You don't have to give any plugs. I think I just like followed the hashtag paramotor or something. Uh Uh, But man, some of these places that people go, it's just damn amazing. So like now I'm always thinking about like, what would this look like from the sky? What would this look like if I had a paramotor and I could just take off somewhere? You know, like when we went to, uh, we just went to Vegas recently and, you know, went out to the Hoover Dam and we went yeah. out to the desert and stuff. And I was like, man, this would be so sweet if you could just like fly over this cropping of rocks and yeah. that'd be so, and to see people doing it is what's awesome too. Yeah. Uh, I've, the thing that I've seen recently kind of show up is para-hawking. So they have... Oh, Oh, like oh, yeah. uh, yep. people that ha- that have hawks that that do uh, yeah. uh, falconry. Right, they'll have the hawks fly right around next to them. Like one landed right on the the GoPro pole that they were using. Yeah, uh, and then I've seen a couple where birds were just flying right with people, and it's like that's amazing in its own to have a bird just flying right next to you, like right. <laughs> chilling, checking you out. Yeah, he, that gentleman's out of I believe Oregon. I can't his name escapes me right now, but I've watched several of his videos, and he's an interesting guy. But, um. You don't need a hawk with your yeah, as a no. beginner, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just yeah. crazy to see like the 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 changes that are happening since I've already found it. Yeah, um, yeah, I know the toe dragon thing seems to be pretty popular, just just skirting yeah. the ground. Uh, so what's it, so what's it look like for someone that's that's interested in getting into this? Yeah. What what does it look like? How is what is the recommended? avenue gear how how would you suggest someone get into this well just to kind of follow up with what we started with as far as down in florida it's gonna go all over the place okay (laughs) good to know that good that suits me fine um i uh when i got into it i knew i was gonna do it so 10 years prior and i hate to date us back here but my wife and i took a 10-year anniversary trip to switzerland okay and i paraglided with a tan on a tandem flight and it was just, it changed my world, tandem, literally. Tandem flight being you were with someone else. Yeah, right. so I was with an instructor, and it was called free flight. So free flight is not a motor. You're running off a mountain. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's where the that's thermals. Got like the, that's got like the, it looks almost like a sleeping bag kind of yeah, like. Pod is what Pod they call that it. They, they sit into yep. once they get in the air, right? Yep, and that's more for aerodynamics and keeping warm and, you know, uh, that aspect. You don't need one, let's put it right. that way, but. Uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, kind of the protocol with the uh, the free flight paragliders. So I did that with a gentleman, and it was in Grindenwald, Switzerland. I mean, this place is just sick. You you run literally off a mountain in a valley, and you're I think it was probably maybe seven thousand, eight thousand feet. I don't remember exactly, but uh, looking down in the little village of Grindenwald, and, and it just changed my life. Literally, I landed. And I looked at my wife, I'm like, that was unbelievable. And did she not do it? No, she did it. Okay. She did it as well. And she landed and she's like, oh my God, that was so much fun. It's great. And I said, I looked at the instructor guy and I go, hey, can I do this again tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, he goes, yeah, sure. Absolutely, man. Let's get you signed up. And I looked at Karen, I'm like, you want to do it? You want to do it? And she's like, well, I think I'm going to try the hang gliding with somebody and i said okay and i knew right then and there she didn't have that same that that flip that, back yeah in my it, eyes it wasn't like experience. oh shit yeah yeah and uh after that i came home and you know five years go by and you're busy with life and so on right. and so forth but it's and, always in the back of your head yeah in the back of my head and i just uh i we're down in florida probably five years you know in the f- future here and two power paragliders go flying by in Naples beach and they're literally like five feet off the breaking waves. Right. And I looked at my wife and I'm just like, Oh my God, there, I, there it is. That's what I need to do because right. I was thinking 
as far as paragliding that you need mountains and right. we don't live in areas of mountains. Yeah, Michigan's I'm pretty like, damn flat. That's the answer right there. Right. So I go running down the beach thinking that I can catch these guys because <laughs> you only travel like 25 miles an hour. And I right. was like, I can, I can, I can catch them. <laughs> so I'm literally running down the beach and uh, sure, I don't catch them. Yeah. Five years go by and uh, I have a situation with work, whereas um, my surgical business, surgical device, I was in medical sales. Okay. Um, it had dried up just because of Obamacare on some reimbursements of our product. Really? And uh, so I had time to think about, okay, this is this is the time to do this. I want to go down and train. I mean, right. let's go. So I bought all of my gear. Before so, going down. Yep. So I've never <clears throat> even touched a paramotor, never saw one. Would you recommend that? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's no reason to. And I'll tell you here why. Um, I did it uh, because I knew I was going to love it. Quite frankly, right. I just like you. Well, you'd already had that experience of of doing the flying, right? Right, right. And I love uh, flight. I've loved it since a little kid. I'm still the guy that actually. Uh, I'll take a flight today. I'm six one two twenty, and I'll still sit in the window seat to look out the window yeah, of me the too. airplane. Me I too. just love it so much. When we, when we just flew to Vegas, like I was like at the window seat both times. Yeah. I'm like, oh look at that! Look at that! Oh, it's a great kid. Oh my god! Uh, I know. Yeah. I know. Totally. Yeah. Well, there's the mountains. Oh shit! There's the mountains. Yeah. Yep. My girlfriend. Yep. Look at that cloud. Like, yeah. I mean, just everything about it still, yep. you know, to this day is just so intriguing to me. And so I have such a passion for it. But so I knew that I was going to love the sport. So I really put the trust into Don. Um, I'd done quite a bit of my due diligence to find the right instructor for me. Okay. And Don was top, very high on that list. Now, this is five years ago. So the list of instructors was probably much smaller than it is today. It's actually larger. Really? Yeah. It's because of the growth of the sport. Okay. So, but um, that's a good thing because of the quality and the uh, the people that are doing this. Um, people now that are trying to get into the sport are finding the right trainers and the people that are out there. They're actually really doing this as a full time thing type, right? You know, position and job and career and life choice because it is. And uh, but five years ago, I mean, a lot of guys you'd find just working out of their garages. My instructor actually worked um, out of his house. We'd okay. go there to do uh, ground school, and we'd go out to the field, and, you know, that that's fine if that works for you. Right. That's great. Um, we couldn't do it just because, you know, my wife would yeah. <laughs> throw me out. <laughs> I mean, she has enough of PPG. She doesn't need any more PPG. Right. But so um, that being said, as far as gear, I don't recommend it just because, number one, you don't even know if you're going to like the sport. Right. You don't know if you're going to get spooked. You could be in love with the idea of it, and then once you actually do it. 100%. I think that's a lot with uh, – for a lot of people with a lot of things right like you get you fall in love with the the idea that you romanticize in your head like oh this would be so cool right but then you find out like you're afraid of heights or you're just scared because you don't feel like it's safe enough or right and there's so much into actually picking out the right gear for you based on not only your physical characteristics your flight passion or your flight desires you know what right. is your um what kind of flying do you want to do? Are you going to do right. back road? Do you yeah, want to do long cross I've seen that too. There's, I mean, there's wings that are like, you know, only for experienced people because they're right. much more sensitive and, yeah. uh, you know, then there's other ones that are built to be super safe right. where it's really hard to even just collapse them. I mean, I've watched reviews on wings where people yeah. are potential, they're doing it on purpose, collapsing part of the wing. And, and <clears throat> to explain it more, I mean, it's just fabric. And when you get going, the air moving through it gives it shape 
mm-hmm. creates that lift and everything. So yep. you can literally have something happen where the wing will collapse and they're designed to reinflate basically uh, <clears throat> as quick as possible. But some of them, the way they're designed so you can be more acrobatic sure. or acro, as you said, Absolutely. Uh, will they collapse easier. They're harder to get to pop back up. Uh, so they come with their whole skill level right. advancement. Yeah, the rating systems, out, they're out of Europe, but um, they'll do that as far as based on your all-up weight and also your skill level from right. A, B, C, D gliders. And an all-up weight would be your everything. weight plus everything that Fuel, you have. your keys. If you carry keys in your pockets, well, you shouldn't because everything will fall into that prop. But, um, you know, instruments, um, if you bring up, uh, you know, water, you know, drinks, yep. your clothes. Yeah, I've um, seen people yeah. uh, uh, do, like, the cross-country stuff, too. Yeah. I know there's a... The one YouTuber, God, he's a younger guy, but he's all over the sport, and he does the flying. He'll go across states. And yeah. He, the people plot out their gas station stops. Yep. And he had like a whole bag underneath his seat. Yep. Or you know the in his harness that was like his clothes and a tent or something, and it was just yeah. I think and flying. I think you're referring to Tucker got yes. doing the Icarus race. Yep. Yep. So that is uh that's that's hardcore because that's all self. Um, self-sufficient i mean you're, right so we've done uh, myself terry williamson um gene parniak and um uh, we've made assaults on uh, the state of okay. michigan so we've yeah. done from the west coast to the east coast That's cool. of michigan from holland to uh to uh fort gratiot okay my parents so basically lake, cool. lake to lake and then uh, we've also now made the attempt on uh, uh from the southern tip or excuse me, from southern uh, Michigan at the border, Angola, Indiana, okay. all the way up to uh, Mackinac. Really? Yeah. How, may, how's that one? It's awesome. So there's videos um, that we've got on it. Um, I have to, without being, I, Brandon McLeod <laughs> is uh, one of the other guys that okay. was part of it. So I was thinking of his name at the same time. But um, the only successful actual portion of both attempts was done by Gene Perniwak. And uh, the reason being, there's so many factors that come into it. Um, he was successful doing the, the Holland to uh, the, the Fort Crash. Or yeah. west to east. Yep. Weather is a huge consideration. you got to have the right day. you got to be considered of, you know, midday flying in thermal conditions. Right, because that's, that's one of the things, too, right? As the day yep. goes on, it heats up and the thermals become more active. So then right. that can to- drastically change, like, you're up and down, right? Yep, yep, yep. So there's a lot of things um, that have to go right in order for that to be successful. The, our uh, our uh, attempt from the south to the north went all the way up to, uh, at, what was it, uh, Boyne City. Really? So, we made it up so to you Boyne made it pretty City far. In one day. In um, one day you made it that oh, yeah. far? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How so. much ground do you, you cover in an hour? So it depends on the wind. So if you're if the if wind's you gotta, with you, you yeah. it's going to push you, right? For so sure. the average paramotor right now, um, <clears throat> the ones that, are probably let's call them bc rated um, they're going to be going at about 35 38 miles an hour on average and then put a say a 10 or 15 mile tailwind, tailwind on onto you. that you know you're going 48 49 miles fun. an hour yeah so you 50 there are times that we're clocking 65 miles an hour that's that's cool you know so it's yeah that, that is fun but you get into a headwind you know the wind switch on you right then you're 
battling that. Right. You know? And that's so got to be tough because it could feel yeah. like you're just not even moving. And there's times right? you're not. It's called, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, you're you're peristalled, basically. Wow. So you're just sitting there <clears throat> gaining no ground, just burning fuel. And sometimes that's fun, you know? <laughs> right. So, but uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot, a lot of places that you can go and it's opening up and, you know, more and more people are starting to look at this as, wow, these these aren't just buzzing around my, you know, five mile radius of my house or my LZ. This is, I can travel with this thing. I right. can go places with this. And, and that's, it's funny. There's a video that's on YouTube. I can't remember who put it up, but it was like 10 reasons not to paramotor. And, <laughs> and every single one of the reasons are reasons too. Right. Exactly. You know, he's yeah. like, yeah. you're going to lose so much damn weight from running <laughs> and trying to get in the air. You're going to be so <laughs> happy, you know? Cause, yeah. He's <laughs> like, I've got more weather apps on my phone than I care to even think about. I'm addicted to the weather. I'm constantly looking at the weather. I'm constantly He's outside. Like, I travel more now than I ever have. Be prepared to travel to all these glorious places because of your new addiction to paramotoring. Have all these new friends. Yeah, that was another one too. Yeah, you're going to make a totally new group of friends. And, but it, it was funny how he sells it as like not to, but it's all reasons to. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's like, oh God, what? He's like, you'll be completely selfish. All of my money used to go to my kids and my wife, and now it just goes into paramotoring my hobby right you know (laughs) but uh (laughs) it consumes you the one that it bites it bites hard and uh what i mean by that like it would literally i i used to golf i used to enjoy watching you know football or going to football games um we live on a lake and we used to go boating and you know skiing and all that good stuff man every opportunity that i can get that weather provides right i'm jumping i it's such a it's so much higher on my priority than, than any than of the other activities going to a football to game yeah. you know and sitting there it's just it's just amazing i mean literally it's uh it's very unique and the individuals that are in the sport um it's funny when i f- first was looking at it and getting into it i did a ton of ton of research i just that's the way i am when right. i'm really looking that, at that's something. how i am too yeah it's smart i get made fun of all the time but i like i see something i'm like all yep. right let's research yep you yep. know yep. like i was like even this like i picked out a, a wing that i would get just because of like the safety of it it can carry my weight like my all-up weight would be in that that wings range you know looking at the uh at the uh the paramotor itself you know, there's a there's a lot to consider for sure, and right. like I did so much research on all that stuff. Yeah, good. You should, and that's smart to do that. Um, but the individual, as far as personality characteristics, I was thinking to myself, what kind of people are you know right. in the sport? Because really, there was only one other person that I knew here in Michigan. It's named uh, Tom Zoner, which was my mentor, still okay. is actually. Um, he. Uh, he he's very he's a, he was the count uh the commerce township supervisor okay. for 20 years after he had retired but um he started it in you know when you go to fly-ins and so on and so forth he started to introduce me around to to the individuals that were in the sport and i was like oh my god he's an attorney he's an engineer he's a supervisor of a of a municipality this isn't the, you know, wingsuit type right. attitude yeah. of, you know, adrenaline and, you know, crazy. These are really interesting, well-established people that um, really just found the passion of this as well. And sure, you're going to have your, your guys that are a little you know, crazier, yeah. crazier, but that's to be expected. But it's, uh, 
this community here in Michigan is, is a unique one um, from all around the country. And I say that just because of the close knit um, that all of the pilots have. We have a Michigan power paragliding group <laughs> yeah. um, around that. We are probably, I want to say, two or three in the country as far as uh, per capita of the amount of pilots. Really? That are, yeah. And it's just growing like crazy because most of our student, our students are coming from Michigan. Last year, I think we put up 60 students that were okay. Michigan pilots. Well, and like so. I said, when I was when I was searching for somewhere to train, like just to, again, in my research to like prep for how I want to go about this, uh, your name kept popping up. Like people recommended you. Uh, I joined the Facebook group and everyone was like, oh, talk to Mike Cotter. He's your guy. You nice. know, and like I said, when I was searching for places uh, to train at all, yours pops up. Like I said, there was another one that came up that was within a decent, you know, distance from here. And, uh, but that one didn't seem like it was active when I went to their, their website. Uh, but everyone just, your name kept popping up. So it was like, all right, well, this must be the guy. And then, I mean, being outside of Lansing isn't too far of a drive. I mean, it's pretty, pretty good for the Metro Detroit area. Anyone in this, you know, <clears throat> in the Southern part of Michigan to, to reach. Sure. To go do it. Now, when you for the training and stuff like how how long is that whole program yeah i'm glad you asked um so ours our facility is a unique facility we i found this place out in the middle of nowhere um nine miles northwest of, of lansing and it has a house on site really yeah and a hangar which we rent both okay. which leads us out to a two thousand foot grass strip runway north south east west and when I found it, I had, I had been looking for a long time to find the right location. Right. That's got to be kind of hard too. Yeah. Right? And my partner, Justin Fox, um, he lives in Kalamazoo or three rivers area. So he's on the Western side of the yep. state. I'm in the Detroit area. And, uh, so I had to find a place that was somewhat, you know, convenient Central. for both of us. Right. Yeah. And so I had looked at everything, including, um, sod farms, dairy farms, um, just places that had really open, wide open fields that would be safe for students. Quite right. frankly, that's the first thing that's on our mind is find this place that's safe. Well, it was late in the day, you know, it was winter time and it was probably, I don't know, six o'clock and I was meeting Justin out to apprentice with one of the older um, instructors for the state, Jay. And we're meeting in Holland. And I said, man, I'm exhausted. I said, but there's another um, airport that looks interesting i said it's about 30 minutes away so i'm probably not going to be there till you know eight eight ish or something like that and he's like yeah just go check it out so it was like my fifth one of the day and uh i pull into this place and immediately i was just like the grass is like perfectly manicured the the whole area was just wide open there's a there was a house on site that had like um they dig ponds for swimming pools oh, okay it's swimming pools. <laughs> I mean, and so I pull around to where it shows that the office is, and it's a house. I'm like, oh, that's kind of unique. And I go and I knock on the door. And I said, hi, my name's Mike. Introduce myself. I said, I'm curious, is the hangar or the airport, um, is there rental space available? Or, And the, the young gal says, yeah, actually, my grandpa owns the airport. And uh, he, he does. Matter of fact, I know that one of the hangers is open. I'm like, oh, it's awesome. I said, is that typical that he rents out space? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, on the Google, it shows that this is the, the house is the office. And she goes, yeah, I'm renting the house from my grandpa, but we're moving out next week. 
And I'm just sitting in my head just going, bing, bing, right. bing, bing. Like, and how place. convenient, right? How soon? I'm like jumping out <clears> of my <throat> shirt going, how soon can I talk to your grandpa? Well, she goes, let me go ahead and get you my number for my grandpa and, uh, and you know, give him a call. And he'd probably love to talk to you. And so I give this gentleman a call on my way to Holland. And I'm just giddy. Right. I'm like, man, if this could come, that house, those hangars, that airport. I'm like, this is, this is PPG heaven. And uh, I called the gentleman. And he answered the phone. And I just wanted to say, you know what? If this is the right thing to be, this is the right thing to be. I'm just going to be dead balls honest of exactly what we're going to do right. here. You know? I said, my name's Mike Cotter. I'm interested in renting your house and hangar to start a powered paragliding school. I said, you know, I told him nuts and bolts will probably have six students per class. It'll be probably, you know, class every month, month and a half maybe. And uh, we're looking to start as soon as possible. And he goes, can you meet me tomorrow? And now, said, when you said powered paragliding to it, did he know what that was already? He had seen, he, yeah, he knows aviation. Okay. He actually started flying his first plane. I think he was 13 years old. So he's got a huge, huge amount of experience got in it. airplanes. Well, when you say grandpa, like. like <laughs> yeah, well, he was 90, he's 92 years old wow. at the time that I contacted him three, he, three years ago. Okay. And uh, he, uh, so he had seen powered parachute. I guess there was a guy that was out there. And there was another guy that had come up there that was trying to fly a trike, but just didn't get up, didn't have training or yeah, didn't the, get the trikes look like there's a, a whole nother thing to consider right. with that because i've seen somewhere it looked like it took a while just to get up and they need a lot of distance to be able to get those things up in the air yep versus when you're on foot yeah so <clears throat> when i i trained with justin um that you know i i showed up at the holland airport so you can camp there and uh, Justin was already there and because uh, we are going to be training some students as an apprentice that following morning. And uh, so I showed Justin this property. He's like, wow, looks looks awesome, man. Right. That looks really good. And I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to have to cut my training short tomorrow. I said, because I'm going to go meet this guy at like 3 o'clock. And so I had left and went and met um, uh, Dick. His name's Dick Lyons. And I had met Dick. And as soon as I showed up, he's this guy that just super – happy just really gregarious big smile on his face he's probably i don't know buck 30 stands about five one you know he comes shuffling over to me he's like oh my god this will be great he's like but here's the first thing you got to teach me how to do this no way <laughs> that's know? awesome and i i was just like fell in love immediately right. I'm like this guy's awesome and uh and so we hit it off. We spent, you know, about an hour and a half together and just kind of chatted about him and me and, you know, how this would work and what we'd want. And uh, he loves aviation so much as well. And, you know, he's aging, obviously, and he wants something. He wanted to see something done with, right. the, with the facility and the airport and stuff like that. And so it's been a win-win for us cool. in a major, major way. So, so yeah, so our facility, um, the training our students, they come from Michigan, they come from all over the country, basically. But our training program is a seven to 10 day program. 95% um, of our students will show up on Sunday and they're done by that following Sunday. Okay. There's a very small <clears throat> you know, number that have- Had to go beyond. No, yeah, stay just a little bit longer or, or whatever it may be. But we welcome our students back anytime. Matter of fact, we love having our students come back, especially during our classes because they're kind of a peer-to-peer -peer with the right. students as well. So um, it's a week's 
you know, you got as far as time wise, you know, you're taking a week off work. Right. This is aviation, you know, but we start early in the morning, and winds obviously are very low in the morning typically, and so you got about three hours. Um, after sunrise and you got about three hours before sunset right that seems like to be the most popular time right they are because of the 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 day hasn't heated up or exactly in the evening is starting to cool down so the thermals aren't so crazy you got it you got it so so let's say for example you know in an evening session you know everybody we get them out and let's say that they're flying at this time you know we're going to fly them until the sun's going down and uh, as soon as the sun sets and we're basically finished with the students as well but then we take the students back into the either the classroom or the house wherever we want to do it and do a video debrief of everything they're doing right and wrong what they can improve on what you know what so, it looks so like. you're you're recording everything yeah we do video analysis of it okay unbelievable helpful tool as well so by the time that that's finished you know you basically based on how many flights we did that night it can go an hour hour and a half or whatever so in the middle of the summer, 10 p.m. finished flying, you know, or 9.30 finished right. flying, and then now it's 10.30 p.m. that we're finished debrief, and somebody has to drive home, they're exhausted. Right. So we put a high emphasis on students staying with us. Um, it just makes sense. Now, can they, can they camp out? Is that what they yes. generally do? Yep, yep. So that house right. that we have, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And so we actually provide a lodging for those students and we recently went through some uh, some rules and regs with the uh, the county as far as township of what we can do and what we can do because we don't want to you know disturb the the areas where right. having a ton of campers and stuff like that yeah. there but we were able to get permission to have a total of four rvs or campers on the site now myself justin and our third instructor bob all have our own travel trailers that we stay there right from you know the time the students get there to the time they're finished and so the house is open for students gotcha, to rent okay. out as well but um several of the students you know thought oh no big deal you know it's 45 minute drive or something like that i can do it i can right. commute and i'm like i just i tell them why you know right but still in their heads and sure enough they end up you know crashing on the couch or sure you know, oh yeah and it's it's a lot more fun too because you know, when we're done doing our talking and so on and so forth, it's nice to see those guys interacting and bonding and, right. you know, the downtime of having dinner and, you know, and just joking around. This experience, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So really kind of brings it almost like a little PPG family, if you will. Now, what do you do during the midday? <clears throat> so if you're going to, if you're going to fly in the morning and the evening, what's, what's midday look like? Yeah, good question. So we typically, um, morning sessions are, if we can, get out there and do physical skills and physical skills are ground handling with the wing, um, practicing, you know, which is when I say kiting. Yeah, right. That's exactly what it's kiting. Um, but we have ground school as well. And ground school consists of all the rules, regs, airspace, you know, safety, um, kind of public perception of the sport, um, wing design, motor maintenance. There's a boatload of stuff that we sit down and do classroom, you know? So, our classes typically run an hour, hour and a half, depending on questions. Um, but after that, it's more of those guys kind of coming out and, you know, getting some one-on-one time with us. Oh. And <laughs> My dog feels like she has to talk. <laughs> yeah, chat it up. So it's more of them, um, if they have questions, like, 
you know, what kind of gear should I be looking at? Or they'll start looking at all the different variety of gear that we've got there and, you know, spend time just kind of looking at things and, you know, reading. We've got, uh, you know, some video. Or quite frankly, these guys are exhausted. They're, right. They're tired. Um, we beat them up. We get them up early and we, we're out there. Right. And like and, you said, I mean, depending on the, the season, you're going to be up late too. Yep. Yep. They're taking naps, which we want them to. Um, there's not a whole lot that's there as far as where we're at. So <laughs> not can't a go lot water, of entertainment. <laughs> but nobody wants to go anywhere. They're right. literally, they're like, you know what? I'm just going to chill. And uh, I guess YouTube makes this sport look so easy. Um, the learning process is not. Um, there's, it's work. It, right. You know, you want to have, you want to be somewhat in shape. I, the rule of thumb I tell my students is when they're coming in, I said, concentrate on the, your physicality, your, you know, your physical con- condition. And what I mean by that is you should be able to put a backpack on your back, put in 35, 40 pounds, be able to run at 70% of your max speed for about 30 yards. And if you can do that over and over and, and over, over and over and over and over and over, you'll be ready. You'll okay. be great. But we have successfully been able to, you know, work with students that are less fit right and now have you had have you ever had any trikes and stuff out there yeah yeah we've trained trikes yep so foot launch is probably uh the majority yeah the majority of it yeah well because i mean that's a cheaper option too like not much when when you start getting into the trikes though doesn't that increase the the price a couple thousand right paul yeah two (laughs) thousand well depending right who you're talking to that's that's in the budget or not right yeah good point you You know know, but i know that's uh one of the options for heavier people because that was one of the things you know i weigh over like 310 right now uh so when i was looking at gear you know sometimes that's the max or a little bit over the max depending on what wings you're looking at and then finding a motor that's going to give you enough you know the thrust for for that weight too because it's all stuff to consider when Absolutely. you're looking into it and then i know that trikes were like the that option for a heavier person or especially if you want to fly i see a lot of trikes with a tandem yeah <clears throat> yep. yeah so trikes um really the majority of people that get on trikes are ones that do want to get in the air they're a little bit heavier they don't have um, maybe or, the endurance or physical, or physical limitations yeah they've too. had knee surgeries yeah, um knee. they've had hip surgeries you know just something that is typically you know a physical right. type characteristics however i had an injury um my second year and uh i broke my ankle and i still wanted to fly i'm like what am I going to do? You know, there's no way in heck I'm going to sit around and for eight weeks to try to get my ankle to heal. So I started triking. Yeah. And I've got about 60 hours on a trike and, uh, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, it won't substitute for the foot launch for me personally. Um, just cause you feel kind of like you're in a little cuckoo cage, at least the, the trike that I had, it had a roll bar over my, my head and, so I've seen some really interesting trike designs. Yeah, so. there's some that are out there literally that will release as you 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 actually would fly these just as if you would a foot launch unit, and they just sit in and bolt out, and so you use your same harness that you would on a really, on a, okay. and so the wheels will actually drop down below you um, once you take off and it feel you have the feeling of exactly like it's free flight yeah some of them look like maybe like a go-kart right like you're sitting in a seat like that but then there's yeah the other ones i've seen it looks like you're in a harness and there's nothing really below you yep 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 so we've got we've got a lot of different varieties of uh of cart options or trike options for students quads so on and so forth so the technology has been amazing um from 
just my five years that I've been in this. I mean, the advances have, have literally leaps and bounds. Of and now most were. of the most of the motors, right, are just a two cycle, two strokes, or yep. two, two stroke uh, engine. Yep. Uh, how, like, what's the limitations with that? And like, how long can you stay up in the air? I've, I've read like hours, right, depending right. on how much fuel you bring with you. Right. But uh, explain the the motors part of it, because like the wings, you can you can get a wing and do the kiting and stuff right and just yeah. and kind of play around with that without needing the motor right away but that's a whole nother thing and like what's the maintenance on that stuff like right <clears throat> so i'll put myself out there a little bit i am not mechanically inclined matter of fact before i got into power paragliding i think i changed the spark plug um on my <laughs> on my uh what was it my we had a jet ski, a little ski do jet ski. And I think I did it on my lawnmower once. So I was not, <laughs> not a good person. So I friended a lot of people that uh, certainly were well acknowledged about it. But you learn. And now, literally, with the University of YouTube, you know, you can go on there and see yeah. everything that there is <clears throat> to, you know, maintain your motor. And maintaining it really is there's annual kind of things that you would do in in hourly type things like you know switch out your belt or switch right. out the bearings or um you know change out your gaskets and based on an hourly type thing for just preventative maintenance right. but they're two strokes and two strokes are finicky it's all get out but once you figure out your motor as far as the way to prime it and how much fuel needs to go in and prime it um and you take care of it and you're you know, making sure that everything's nice and snug and everything is bolted up and all that good stuff. Your vibration is a concern, so it loosens you know, the right. bolts on different things. But as long as you're doing all the right pre-flights on it, you're not going to have any problems whatsoever. They're just pretty much just routine type things. And fortunately, Justin Fox, uh, my partner, is a, he is a skilled, skilled motor whisperer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, that, so that definitely helps, right? Yeah. We, we've got an issue. Oh, God. <laughs> awesome <laughs> so awesome to have him but you know that comes i sometimes i feel really bad because we'll go to a fly-in and people just come out of the woodwork and justin's there to you know relax and enjoy right, and sure you know just talk about ppg because we both love it but you know he's over there just schlepping away working he's uh, such a <laughs> such a nice guy can't say no to anybody right. it's like <laughs> i have to be the bad guy and go shoot people away i'm like dude He's also on vacation. Leave, leave the guy right. alone, you know. But um, so yeah. So as far as maintenance, um, there is maintenance, and you want to pay attention. But you learn, and that's why we have a class of you know motor maintenance to go through all that stuff. Okay, so that's that's something that's included in the class. What exactly. about uh, props? It looks like most of the props are wood, huh? Um, no, actually, uh, carbon fiber. There's carbon fiber ones too, but that's, mo- that's majority. Is that the majority now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. So um, and that technology's come leaps and bounds, and the pricing's come. Down, down to be a little more affordable because well. I, I know at first like the carbon fiber ones were a lot more expensive compared to the to the wood ones that you would see right. so that's that's changed then huh yeah and i gotta be careful with expenses for you but you were looking at about a hundred dollar difference between the two back in the day but now okay. you can get a carbon fiber prop for 300 bucks okay that's so not, yeah, but the bad. thing is if you're good <laughs> and you do the right things and you get the right training and you're flying at the right times and making the right decisions you're not going to be breaking props, right? Quite frankly, I mean, it seems bewildering to me that you would break one unless you Butt like slides. crash or something. Yeah, slam on your ass. <laughs> you know what? This is an interesting sport where um, 
what did John, the, John uh, Isley, who came out and helped us out with instructing, we were talking a little bit about we had hired a guy to come out mm-hmm. and help us out. We began. He had said it, it's the paradox of paramotoring. So that every, th- every time you fly and every time you get up there, it's always different and it's always better. Right. Stuff like that. But this is a humbling sport as well. And, you know, you're going to come down for a landing and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you get a, you know, a down draft. Okay, and it pushes you down a lot quicker, and you didn't realize that that it was going to happen so quick, and you know you fall on your feet, but yet you lean back, and the pro- it hits the prop, and the prop right. breaks. You know, simple. You know, you'll be in your truck or whatever your car, your vehicle, and you know something will bang into it. Right. Prop breaks. You over tighten it when you're putting a new prop on. They're carbon fiber. Yeah. Just like porcelain. You know, it can break. So there's stupid little you know silly things that can happen, but being um, just always keeping yourself, uh, I guess, don't getting, not becoming complacent, I guess is what I'm looking for. Uh, that's the biggest thing in this sport is making sure that, you know, you're doing the right things and that you're ready mentally and physically and the weather's good and you're ready to go. So you asked about how long can you stay up? So typically on average, you got about a three hour window of fuel. Um, the monster uh, the vitarazzi monster 185 is which is a very popular motor the pump the, yeah, the, the most popular yeah. motor that's out there in the market so it's a 185 cc motor um there's a limit to how much fuel you can carry through our far 103 regulations we cannot carry more than five gallons of fuel right. well that five gallons of fuel you got to think that each gallon of fuel is six pounds really okay yeah so you're putting any additional fuel that you're putting into your paramotor should be used on your flight you know give yourself a little bit of a window of a difference but otherwise it's just extra weight on you so all of that weight is going to go away as soon as you launch as soon as that wing starts to inflate and gets over your head and you start taking flight all of the weight that you had felt carrying your backpack over is gone so you got to consider how long am i going to be gone on my flight where am i going am i just going for a trip around the neighborhood in right. a half hour flight you know put in a gallon of fuel right no need to right. fill it up if you're going across the state of michigan put in five gallons of fuel you know it's all depending on what you want to do but on average they would say without any type of headwind tailwind that you're fighting out there and keeping a level let's call it a um a level flight uh, uh what am i trying to think of like so, a flight path uh no yeah. i'm thinking about a power power setting there okay but, oh yeah, yeah level like flight. The, keeping the, the, the yeah. throttle like at the same consistent yeah exactly right you got about three hours okay um technology is getting better and better um they've now uh, alex huff uh good friend of ours and also the inventor of efi for paramotors what's efi electric fuel injection oh, okay. so it makes things smoother makes uh less fuel consumption 20 30 percent i have it on mine i was i think the first um customer they had tested it down at aviator ppg but after all those testings and results came by he came up to our school fly my ppg and installed it on my motor okay and uh so i've been flying with it for gosh almost a year now i have yet to run out of <laughs> run out of fuel i literally don't know what my capacity is for distance is right now I, I really don't know how long i could stay up so when people are picking out a motor do you recommend an electric start versus a pull start uh just for the yeah. ease of starting it when you're in the air yeah good question um 
Because oh. I've, I've seen those videos where they're just like reaching over their shoulder, just pulling and pulling and pulling, yeah. trying to get it to start again. Well, those are people that don't own their motor that way, or they because they haven't primed it correctly, or maybe they forgot to prime okay. it, or um, they're not dialed in. Maybe they had a foul plug and they haven't done their maintenance. So there's a lot of reasons for that. All right. My partner literally, he has the Moster 185. He seriously will. He has one pull on his motor, starts up every, every single time. time. Every time. Why? Because he's diligent about making sure that everything is good to go on his paramotor. So the guys that are struggling out there, they've overprimed it or, you know, there was something that was mechanically going on with it that took it that long right. to start. Um, electric starts are, I have one on mine, and when they work, <laughs> just beauty <laughs> key, thing. Key, key, key phrase there, it's when they work. beautiful thing. <laughs> But a lot of times they don't for really? whatever reason. Yeah, if it's a battery situation, if it's just the wiring of it, it's just um, a lot of times, you know, there's there's issues that come with it. But it's getting better. Um, they're now making, which I have, what's called the dual start. And so if my electric start doesn't fire, I can just reach over and grab my, you know, pull cord right. and pull it and start it. So, but I'll tell you, it's nice having electric um, just for <laughs> the convenience right. sake of it. So now I see like uh, quite a different brands like Parajet, and mm-hmm. there's some other ones too. Now is that because the, the motors are mostly the same, right? It's yep. it's more just the frame and the and the way it attaches to the harness and everything that's unique to each one of those brands. You got it. Okay. Yep. 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 <clears throat> is there any one that you recommend over another? Um, no. And here's why. Um, we there's a kind of a consensus in this industry where people are so brand loyal as far as the people that are selling this and they sometimes forget to look at you know options that would be better suited for someone because of the fact that that is their brand and that's what we tout when justin and i got into this we had looked at each other and just kind of putting our business ideas together and we're like this should be a student's decision and it should be based on, you know, that person's characteristics, body characteristics, physical right. characteristics, what kind of flying they want to do. And so what we've done is we've partnered with and entered into dealership agreements with really the top brands all across the board um, okay. for it. So as far as recommending a paramotor, I would have to see you. I'd have to talk to you. I'd have to sit down. And that's kind of part right. of our training and that's what we do. Because so. I have I have read that about like mm-hmm. some reviews uh, uh, of some trainings, where it's like they push this one brand right the most because yeah. that's what they fly everything with. And I, I get that to a degree, but then also yeah, if, if it's just uh, if it's not looking at all the options to find something that's suitable for that person. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean that's that's the biggest. There's a lot of drama that happens on Facebook. I mean, the <laughs> keyboard warriors and. It's Agreed. hilarious. I mean, just watching I, look, I, I Oh, so you saw, yeah, you know what. Until I started this, I had never had an Instagram, uh, <laughs> and I went on Facebook maybe once or twice a year just to see if, like, any family members or friends messaged me or were trying to get a hold of me. Other than that, I, was, I, I do not like being on social media. Yeah. So with this, though, it's one of the main ways of, <clears throat> of growing an audience and, and actually, you know, spreading the word about what you're doing yep. so it, it becomes almost necessary yeah to for this type of thing to to get it out there right yeah uh and and like even in, in para uh in paramotoring or paragliding like it's it can be a helpful tool those youtube videos man just can captivate 
just wow like holy crap look at this yeah. oh look at this person's just in an open park field they're running and now they're in the air and look at all this footage of them flying and it's so beautiful and that was another one of the, the top 10 reasons not to it'll, it'll change your view of the world because once you see it from up here you'll never want to see it another way again yeah, like that's literally that's what the guy said but uh <clears throat> so yeah i mean it's it's <clears throat> that but that's part of the the bad part of all this social media stuff right yeah. is you get those people that can just yeah the, and it's the advice that some people are giving that um, there'll be people out there that you know that they started two, three months prior and somebody out there on Facebook will ask a question and you see that that person is responding to those questions. It's like you don't have the skill yet. You don't right. know what you don't know yet. Why are you making these recommendations? It's just you got to take it at face value. Right. You really do. So my recommendation for somebody getting into this is find an instructor. Find somebody in your local area or you know, reach out to others in your local area that are PPG pilots and find out who are the good, you know, people to be kind of consulting with on this stuff. Um, but that's just part of the, the deal. But social media is great because um, for whatever reason, the paramotor community lives on Facebook. Um, that's where you find this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of good information out there, but there's a lot of bad information out there. I'll give you an example here. We had a student this past summer, <laughs> and he came out, and we do an introductions class, an okay. introductions expectations. It's the first thing we do when they show up. And we all get together, and we kind of just tell them what the week looks like, what we're going to be doing, blah, blah, blah. And we ask them, say, guys, we're going to train you the best way we know. I said, we've been doing this for a while. We know it works, and we know that you'll have different ways or ideas of doing things. But just do it our way, right. if you will, for this week. After you leave here, do it however you want. But just give us a try, okay? Right. Sure enough, we're out there and we're showing somebody how to, you know, clip into the wing for the first time. And they're like, you know, I watched this YouTube video and so-and-so does it this way. As, as soon as you hear that, <laughs> like, is it like, oh, man, right. like... Damn, yeah. YouTube. <laughs> you know, I love that people do their due diligence and research it, but man, I would love to have people just come to us blind, right. just totally raw. And you know, those because are the most not successful. shaped by these. Yeah, they don't have any preconceived ideas of it. Man, YouTube <laughs> makes this thing look so easy. Right, they really do. Do so. you do you offer any of the advanced courses? I know what do they call it. There's a, a specific term for it, but it's basically preparing for those like collapsed wings and yeah and stuff like that siv yeah is the name of it um what's that stand for you know what that's a really good question it's called uh i know you're gonna kill me it's a french name that service in uh i'm not gonna but it's but it's a delete this <laughs> right but siv so it's an advanced skills course to right. understand really what the wing capabilities are if you experience say, a collapse but SIV courses also go further than that. They'll offer, you know, different beginner, intermediate uh, training into acro. What's right. the right way to be doing wing overs? What's the right way to be doing, you know, different maneuvers right. that are advanced maneuvers? Um, we have recently partnered up with a, a couple of guys, One Up Adventures. And Kyle Mooney and Travis Burns have been doing this forever. And these guys are skilled. Um, tr uh, Kyle is, I think, the only pilot in the united states that can do an infinity tumble with a paramotor on his back really and so you're basically going yeah up, i've, I've seen those yeah so 
these... not with a paramotor, but just like in the paragliding world, right. you'll see them do those flips and stuff. And it's exactly. those guys get crazy too. Holy crap! Some yeah. of those, uh, they do the, the sharp turns. They'll come right over the ground, like their yep. wing is almost touching the ground and everything, and spiraling yep. around, and then the flips and everything. Yeah, yep. it's nuts. Well, I mean, these guys are so skilled at it, and neither one of them would take on the thought right now of teaching an SIV. And what I mean by that is there's so it's just a different animal trying to teach something like that. However, right. they do teach advanced courses. So there's advanced courses. What they do teach is like um, if you're looking to get your tandem rating or if uh, you are looking to um, advance your, your spot landing skills. So basically we'll come in for 10 flights. We're going to set up a perimeter and I want you to land here. here right. And we'll base it on that and we'll watch them and show them what are they doing right or wrong in order right. to be able to you know accomplish that. If they're interested in cross country, you know, we'll sit and talk with them about plotting out actually an area where you want to fly and do it. Right. Let's let's set this up and kind of get them in that mindset. There's a lot of planning that goes in that, right? Like sure there is. All right, here's potential landing zones yeah. along the way. Like 100%. I said, gas stations. Like here's where I'm going to go refill. What's your range? Right. You know, who are you flying with? Do they have the same range? What kind of wing do they have? What kind of motor do they have? Are you guys going to be at comparable at speed? Right. There's a lot to think about it. Um, and so that is kind of an advanced skill. Um, doing silly things like uh, picking up. Uh, balls you know rubber balls and stuff and then dropping them in an area okay just shows your precision type flying right so that's advanced class so anyways the reason i'm saying we're going down and travis and kyle i've known for a long time matter of fact i first met with them at aviator ppg who we became an alliance school with and travis was one of the founding members of it and we had developed just a mutual respect and idea and philosophy of this whole sport and they came up and trained here in Michigan in the summer because they're from Florida. Okay. It's way too hot down there. Plus, they had a student. Yeah, I agree. There. So they came up to uh, to our school and had a student, and then they stayed and trained me on uh, doing my tandem flights. Okay. So, but we're now going to Florida next month, and we've got a full class down there with them. So we'll join them now. That's cool. And go down there, and one of the couple of things that we want to do is, you know, before the beginner class, do advanced skills training, and then on the back end of it, do the same thing, advanced skills. Okay. So have some people. And that's a shorter type class. Like you right. come in for two, three days for that, and it's a lot less expensive and stuff right. like that. Well, because at that point, you're already expecting they, they've logged they've some air the time. They, right. Yeah, they, they've got to have typically 40, 50, 60 hours um, under their belt to really gain the benefits of the course gotcha. as well. I mean, you want them to have skill and understand do's right. and don'ts but some of people you know might be a couple months out of training and they just want to get better at launching and landing right you know just because maybe they didn't find the right instructor and you know they didn't get the skills that were that's an important part of it right getting, <laughs> My... getting, getting off the ground and, <laughs> and getting back on the ground safely <laughs> yeah <laughs> right I so I, what's the saying is that uh launches are optional uh, you know coming down you're gonna <laughs> right, eventually right. <laughs> yeah, what, eventually uh, gonna come down what how many would you say have trained and then not pursued it that's a good question are you talking about our particular Just, yeah, well, i mean from your experience but i mean would you say that that's a, a relatively low number in the community in general or do you is you it think. like higher than you would think no um <clears throat> so that's a good question let's take for example um last year you know let's say we trained 50 students i would say of that 50 students 30 35 of them We'll buy gear 
after the course is finished. After the course. And that's one thing we didn't touch on. We provide all the gear. Yeah, I was so you don't have to buy it. Too. Yeah, we right. don't have to buy it ahead. So, you, so you provide everything to to get them up in the air and, and experience it and everything, and then afterwards, yep. all right, if it, if the bug bit, you go ahead and buy it. You got it. So when I say thirty five people bought gear, that may have been a delayed number two, just because people are going to save up right for yeah. it. But this is a perishable skill. Um, if you're not, you know, out there doing and practicing. You know, you're kiting and wing handling and stuff like that. We'll you rusty. lose it. Right. It's not like riding a bike. I mean, you actually will lose that skill. And so the longer they wait and put it off, the harder it is for them to, you know, get right back into it. But we do offer, come on back. Let's spend some okay. time together. Like you know? a refresher course? Yeah, exactly right. You know, let's get your gear set up. Let's do the hang test for you so that your CG is right, center of gravity is okay. right on the and that's one. And that's referring to how your harness is clipped into the... To the, to, the, the motor. to the motor and everything, yeah. right? Because there's a couple different points that are depending on what kind of style of flying you want to do, all that stuff, right? Right. It's how you sit in your harness with the motor on your back and that basically hang that angle. So that right. if your prop or your angle of attack is pointing downwards and you're putting, you know. It's giving you more upward thrust. Thru- yeah, you're putting that thrust, you know, then it's going to be that you're pointing up all the right. time. And that'll change the wing angle as well based on that. So you just, we do a, we've got a swing set. We'll call it a swing set at our school that we hang people or sit them in the paramotor and you know make sure that we get that right. And typically, on average, paramotors you're going to want about ten degrees. Okay. Of you know. Of a of an angle. Of an angle, right? Gotcha. So, so and, yeah. And what's that achieve? So that way you can get enough upwards thrust, but then yeah, horizontal level keep flight. Right, level flight. Right. Yeah. Exactly. How right. much of that can can you control with the wing itself? It's amazing. Oh, as far as the CG, right? Like, yeah. well, as far as like your your angle of climb and level flight and all that, yeah. like, how much of that is controlled by the wing? Because I get to a, to a degree, it's the the angle that the prop is is you know angled at the angle right. of the angle uh, that it's pushing it in that right. direction. But then, how much of that can be controlled by the wing as well? So a lot, but <laughs> do me a favor, just get your CG set correctly. Um, there's so much that would go into that. How much thrust are you putting out? You know, how much brake pressure are you putting? What kind of wing are you using? How much deflection right. in the trailing edge of that wing is changing that, you know, that angle as well? Um, so there's so many different things that by not having the right CG, you can, on launch, you know, create a uh, torque situation for yourself that obviously can does not end well. Let's right. put it that way. Um, so just make sure your CG is set right. And that's part of buying gear. You know, are you ready for this kind of gear because of this weight and this power? And that's where the research and knowing the gear that you're getting into. Exactly. And that's why somebody that's experienced and knowledgeable and would find the right gear for you, it's critical. It really is. But people will just go onto eBay and buy 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 gear. My my partner did. (laughs) My my partner, it's a funny story. He's awesome. Um, He bought a, uh, well, his cousin flew down in Florida. And he went down to Florida, checked him out, and... uh, Justin's like, this is awesome. He's like, what should I get? And uh, the guy had helped him out. So I was, get this and get this and put him on like a advanced wing. Oh, really? Yeah. So Justin, <laughs> Justin will fly like new wings and be like, that's no big deal. You know, because <laughs> he, he started off on something right, that was a little yeah. harder than he probably yeah. should have. <laughs> 150 hours you should have had, but you started off on an ENC wing, like totally advanced wing. And I'm like, oh my God. So he self taught himself. And okay. you know what? It's such a benefit to have his experience because of him self-teaching himself buying his gear on ebay and listening to his experience and his stories compared to say my experience of buying the gear ahead of time 
going down, getting a nine-day training course, and coming back. And, you know, it's, it's amazing the, the differences that are out there. Do you, so. do you see that too? Do you see people going out and buying and trying to self-teach themselves yep. this and then coming to the class? Like, Hell yeah. Yo, um, well, <laughs> I need that, some help here. I think the pride thing sits into it, a little ego that they won't show up in the class because there's a reason that they chose to self-train right. in the beginning. But, yes, we've had several students that have come to us after. And, again, you read the blogs and what's out there and stuff like that, and you see the stories of people self-training. And notoriously, um, people, the r- number one reason people self-train themselves is because of finances or right. money. Yeah. You know, 2000 3000 1800 bucks, and you pay for what you get. I mean, right. Literally. And this is kind of important. Yeah. It's your life type deal that wouldn't you want to spend the money to get it done correctly? Especially if you're going to already spend the, the eight to ten to $12,000 on equipment. Like, right. at that point, what's a couple extra thousand dollars to get trained and know what you're doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, people will choose money, but what ends up happening is they're breaking gear. Right. You know, for and it's a time thing, too. Students that are becoming proficiently flying as a self-trained student takes months and months longer than somebody that actually will commit the week and spend the time eat breathe live right you know the instruction and the training and they'll walk out of there in eight ten days and you know 30 40 flights under their belt that are proficiently and safely flying with the knowledge of where they can fly when they right. can fly the times the weather you know all these different things that are just critical to doing this right whereas the self-trained guy that thought he was going to save two thousand three thousand dollars is now broken four props right and, you know over the course of you know six months or whatever and so there's a there's a big shift in that and i think it's just because of the popularity of this sport has just been unbelievably in the last growth has been unbelievable in the last three years so what would you say the the biggest mistake that beginners are making not getting training not getting <laughs> okay second to not getting training because I mean, I mean i've seen um, you know Obviously, you're dealing with a fan. Yep. You're dealing with a motor and a fan, and you can lose limbs. It's sure. not, right? So yep. one of the things is that I've seen is, like, uh, you know, making sure that it's when you start that motor that it's set up the right way or that, like, it's <clears> – <throat> that the wind – that it's not going to suck your wing into it. Like, there's a bunch of different things with that. So right. what 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 along those kind of lines are you seeing besides just not getting training? What right. would be the, the biggest mistakes that you see people making? All right. So – the first thing I would say as far as um, a new student being, you know, as a new paraglide or power paramotor pilot that gets into it, knowing how to launch correctly um, is a key thing. And what I mean by that is there's a point in time where that wing comes up over your head yep. and that all of that weight comes up off of your shoulders and you start to rise and immediately students will pop themselves into a seat. And what happens is when they jump into the seat, they're now putting all that weight onto that paramotor, right. and, and it, it falls drops. down, drops, and they butt slide. So jumping into the seat way too soon is number one. You got to keep your feet down, keep running. Um, two would be probably uh, they don't have consistent control of the power. You know, okay. They'll the let off control, the power, right. right? Coming off on and off the power. So that would be one. Um, and again, a lot of things that we've talked about, choosing the right gear um, is is critical for these guys. You know, if you have too much thrust behind you and you're running and you launch and that motor starts to torque on you a little bit, you need to know 
what inputs you have to make to correct that. Okay. And, you know, putting your hands up, come off the power, you know, allow that to, the, that to, you know, kind of re, re uh, center itself and, you know, re, call it recalibrate itself almost. But um, just these little small things, how you clip into your wing, you know, are you using a process? I call it a process with our student. And I say, uh, you know, when you're getting in, into your flight mode, kind of your mental thoughts, right. of, you know, right before you fly, you need to have a checks and balances for yourself of asking yourself, are you mentally ready to go fly? Meaning, was I out late last night? Did I get too much rest or not enough rest? Did I, was I on any medication? Did I party? Did I, you know, anything mentally? Are you ready to fly? Right. Second is your gear ready. Have you done a pre-flight? Is your gear ready to do this flight? Like you said, did you prime your motor right you, and all that? Yeah. yeah, prime your motor. Did you make sure that you check that your airbox is on sound, that it's not going to go through the prop happened to me last summer? Um, What's an airbox? Airbox, it sits on top of the curb that basically, oh. yeah, so mine came off and went in the prop. And, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. um, number 17 motor out. Actually, that was 16. <laughs> um, so you check your mental status, your you know gear. Is the weather correct? You know, Is right. this the right time to fly? And if those are all yeses, then go through the process of check or getting yourself ready to clip into your wing. And it should be done the same way every time so that you don't forget. Right. It becomes a routine yeah. where if you want to, you you put your left riser, you reach down for your left riser to clip in first, do that the same way every time. So clip your left in, then clip your right in. You go to grab your A's to kind of set yourself up. Um, do that exactly right the, the same exact time. There's a process. And it's not my process; it's the student's process. We teach them our process as we right. And like you said, they they week. might make their tweaks and changes and yeah. Because what happens is, mentally or subconsciously, if they forget a step or something is wrong, it'll click with them. Like, wait a second, I didn't. Maybe I didn't clip that. Did I check that? Were right. my lines like this? And by having instruction and teaching them these kind of little tips and tricks like that, creates that you know that process for that particular student of doing it safely and correctly each and every time. So, so I guess to answer your question, um, what beginners do is they become complacent. You can become very good at this very quickly. It doesn't take too much to pull right and pull left. Right. And, uh, you know, what you need to know is and understand is how that energy transfers by pulling right and pulling left and so on and so forth. And people, you know, I, I'm guilty of it. I was, when I first started, I was flying, I think I had 130 hours my first. You get confident, right? So then you get just, confident. So then you're just Everything like, yeah. becomes, it becomes easy. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Things become easy. You become good and you become complacent. And uh, I did. And basically it bit me. It did. <laughs> so, so, so what's been your scariest experience uh, then? I would say my, well, it, one, uh, when I, I had broken my back and that was, it happened too quick for me to be scared. What? Wait, so you broke your back? Yeah, yeah. While you were as a accident from this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that wasn't the scariest though, because it happened too quick. You know, I didn't have time to be. What afraid. was that? Just a slam? Yeah, it was basically I was climbing out on a launch and I stalled out the wing and uh, dropped about fifty feet on my back. Oh man. Yeah, it was not cool. But was, how, how how do you stall out the wing like that? Um, a lot of reasons. <laughs> Pulling the wrong way. Okay. Um, 
there was a lot of contributing factors. Matter of fact, I, I've done a forensic look at this. I swear to God. <laughs> like, what the hell no, happened? I, I even went back. <laughs> I looked at the weather that day, the humidity right. that day. So there's a lot of factors. So yeah. my, <laughs> do you want to know the story? It takes a second. Yeah, no. All I right. mean, that's why I'm so I teach, here. Yeah. I teach a safety class at our, at our school because of this. Um, so that particular day, I was expecting a brand new wing to be delivered to my house. It's a Hadron XX. And I was up late researching it and studying, you know, what you can and cannot do. Right. Speed bar flaps, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, because there's a lot of, like, when I was looking at them, there is a lot of detail that'll be, like, what you can do with each one. And, like like you said, like, the class of skill level, but then also, like, the, the speed of the wing at optimal stuff. And it, 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 there's a lot of detail that can go into there. And it's because it's all, like, yep. European Sometimes it's not the easiest to know what the hell you're looking at. You're surprised you, uh, be surprised that you even got a manual. Right. <laughs> so I was up late. Um, the wings showed up at my house around 11 o'clock. So I don't know. Let's say I went to bed at 2 a.m. and got up at 5.30 because I'm notorious getting up early. So I got up This is the four. earliest episode I've ever recorded to. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it would have been much earlier. I was at the gym at 4.30 this morning. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you showed of, up with a lot of energy. I was like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been running around actually all, all morning. I just had a lot to do. I own an apartment building too. And oh, okay. So there were things that I had to take care of. But, um, and because I'm going down to Florida, I've been hitting the gym trying to get back yeah. into shape. You uh-huh. know? You, get, preparing. Being right. a lazy PPG pilot in the winter is uh, pretty easy <laughs> to get into a bad habit. So, so anyways, I was... Uh, that morning, so my wing arrives at 11 a.m., and I'm all excited. Getting a wing for a paramotor pilot is, oh, my God, it is, uh, it's Christmas time. Because it can, it can dramatically change the experience, right? Like the, the way that wing controls and. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's different characteristics that you will notice. For sure, there's a reason why you would buy one wing over right. the other. But it's better than Christmas. Every, I mean, you list, guys post all the time, like, they'll just show the box at their doorstep, you know, and it's such an euphoric feeling of getting a new wing so i got mine and i took it out to my field and opened it up and started kiting with it because i wanted to practice right. with it and i was out there from noon until about three thirty-four. and a good friend of mine mark desick that i fly with he called me up and said hey looks good tonight to fly want to do it and i said absolutely i'm on my way well he lives out in the saline uh, okay. area and so for me, it was about an hour and 20 minute drive. So I jump in my car, drive in rush hour traffic, and I get there and meet up with the guys. There was a couple of us that were getting together then. And I think there were five of us that were there. And winds were somewhat calm. They're about three miles an hour. Um, Mark's field is an advanced field to launch out of. You know, okay. it's, it's a pretty tight tree line, um, or it's got trees surrounded by it. Plus, there's power lines at one opposite okay. side of this yeah, field. So, yeah, it's tight. I mean, you got to be on your game to launch at Marks. Well, when you fly it with Mark and at Marks, you're planned to be out for two hours minimum. You know, Mark loves just cruising. And uh, so you'll fly for a long time. So that, you know, have to load up a ton of fuel right. into your paramotor. So there's a little pattern that's happening here. I didn't get any rest. I didn't eat. I overexerted myself out there. That day was, I think it was, 88 degrees with a, I think it was a, like 96% humidity. So that changed the density altitude right. of the, the, the air. Therefore, a longer run out, longer launch. Wow. So um, really, it, has that much of a, it can have that much of an effect, huh? 100%. Wow. Big time. Um, so anyways, I 
was second to take off and I'm running down the field and I, for whatever reason, I just kind of got a stumble and I don't know if it was because of the weight or, or what it might've right. been, but, um, <laughs> I guess everything else that I just talked about, but I stumbled, I, you know, was good to go. Still, I looked up, the wing was good and I start taking off, but I'm not launching or I'm not gaining the elevation as quick as I normally would. And I'm on the left-hand side of the field. All my buddies are setting up on the right-hand side. Well, to the left is that tree line, okay? If I turned right, which I should have, to counteract the torque of the motor, then I would have had a, a better outcome, I'm sure, okay. of this. Um, but I didn't want to do that because all my buds were there. And if I wasn't gaining you know, elevation, right. I'd be coming down and put, put them in jeopardy. But I... This is all forensic after the fact that I'm right, thinking yeah. about this. Hindsight, right? <laughs> so as I'm climbing out, I'm just not gaining like I usually would. And I start pulling a little left brake, which is creating a torque with the motor and stalling that wing out. So I didn't realize it, and I didn't have the skill level to understand what was actually happening at that time as well. So I'm now, let's say, just over the trees, and I'm now at like 40, 50 feet and I just feel everything. We usually there's a little brake pressure, and right. you feel that pressure. because you're kind of fighting the wings. The wing wants to be open and yeah. and flying, and when you're pulling those brakes, you're bending the tips of the wings down, right? So you're actually, the trailing edge of the <clears throat> glider is what that would. But be you're going to feel resistance because it wants to be in this regular position, and you're altering that, right? Exactly right. So um, all of a sudden, I just felt my brakes go limp, like there was nothing. And I just dropped. And I dropped right, I mean, basically straight down on my back on the paramotor. And uh, I... What, what, what goes through your head at that moment? Like, <laughs> if you can remember. You know, I do remember. <laughs> I mean, I drove home. So, <laughs> so uh, after the fact, again, I had talked to each and every one of those individuals that were there. And I wanted to hear from them. What, they what do they see? see? What do they hear? What what their perception right. was of this? Because I wanted to know, really, because I didn't know exactly what, what, happened, what right. had happened. And uh, I think the most haunting uh, description came from um, our instructor now, Bob Harris. And he was there. Um, he had said, Mike, when I looked up, I, was, I came in a little bit late. And, uh, you know, you guys were already setting up, had set up, and you were taking off. And you were launching and i looked down but what i i heard something and it sounded like your motor was kind of cavitating if you will and when i looked up your wing was in a streamer and you were falling so a streamer think of <laughs> goes up and down right and just falling and it that sent chills up my body because i've obviously i don't know what it looks like right to be seeing that and uh i landed and all the guys ran over and mark had taken off first and he landed as well and they all started helping me get out of the motor the harness and stuff like that and i just uh first thing i did is rolled over on my back and it clicked in my head i'm like do my feet work do my legs work right i stood up and i walked for about 30 seconds i'm like yes okay it works and i laid back down mark's wife brought me over some uh leave and stuff like that and those guys started collecting my gear and kind of looking at it and they were pulling my wing out of the tree because it actually, I fell right along that tree line. And so I said to the guys, I'm like, guys, thank you so much for 
you know, getting the stuff. I really appreciate it. I said, but <laughs> this is starting to hurt a little bit. Right. And I want to head home before, you know, it gets bad. I didn't know what I've done. I'd never had right. a broken back before. And uh, so I, <laughs> so they pack everything in. I drive from Celine back to Michigan an hour right. and 20 uh, minutes. And my car, I found a setting on my seat that was perfect. You know, got the heat okay. going and, you know, I'm comfortable. And I get home and climb up to bed. It's Memorial Day weekend. What's the one in the summer? Um, yeah, yeah, Memorial. Yeah, so in May. <clears throat> and uh, I get up to bed. My wife was out with uh, dinner with a friend. And so I got home before her, probably about 930 that night. And I lay down. We've got an ergo bed. Okay. So it allows me to <laughs> you know, put your feet up or right. down or something. Okay, so I find my, or something. Right. I, yeah, exactly. I find the right <laughs> position. And uh, I stayed there from... Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday was Memorial Day. My wife comes in. She's like, this is ridiculous. You're going to the hospital. We got to go find out what's going on. So was it just that like any movement was just killing you? I didn't get out of bed. Yeah. I stayed in that position. And so imagine that fun little treat I'd put my wife through. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, and I know just from being injured doing stuff, when you lay, man, you stiffen up. And it makes like when you try to move, like, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah, so I really, I, I stayed in bed. I I couldn't move. How out. long did they put you out? So they didn't put me out. I was in my bed by myself. No, but I'm saying, like, how long did that, like, <laughs> oh, put, put you flying? out of action? Yeah. Good question. Um, let me just complete this thing. So so we drive to the hospital. We get an x-ray from the doctor. The doctor actually said, "What? when did this happen? How long ago did this happen? And I said, four days ago. And he goes, no, it didn't. He didn't believe me. He's like, no, it did not. I go, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, we're putting you in surgery tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. He couldn't book an OR for me that night. That's we did it be first thing scary that next morning. To get that kind of reaction, right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so my vertebrae, my L2 vertebrae, usually a vertebrae will collapse. Right. Mine broke horizontally in half and actually spit out. I was two millimeters from my spinal aorta. Wow. I would have been either for sure paralyzed or, you know, worse dead. Wow. But it's been a eye-opening, earth-changing, world-changing, perspective-changing accident that happened to me. And I wouldn't change it to this day, well, literally. <clears throat> I mean, I guess the, the lesson learned is, is valuable, right? And that's <clears throat> it's changed how you prepare and, oh, not, and how you yeah. encourage others to prepare. Yeah. It made me do a lot of just introspection of... Uh, you know, what kind of a pilot do I want to be? Do I want to continue this? Right. You know, is this something that, you know, if worse comes to worse, I mean, I don't want to leave my wife like that. Right. Nor my family yeah. or, you know, it's just not fair to them. Right. And it's not fair to myself either. So I changed the way I was flying. And that's what really kind of took me over the the edge of being an instructor is I've got a lot of experiences with this that I can pass on to others and help. And so, yeah, it was good. So I was out... Um, Literally after the surgery, an hour after the surgery, I was walking. Oh. And the okay. doctor said, you know, I'm like, what should I do for PT? How should I treat this? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, walk. Really? I'm like, what okay. else? He goes, walk. He goes, you're going to be able to start out and you're going to be able to walk 100 feet, maybe. Then you can go 200 feet. Then you're going to go, you know, a quarter mile. And then you're going to go a half a mile and then a mile and so on and so forth. And so that's what I did. I just walked. And uh, every day it got better and better and better. And uh, I was trike flying uh, five months after the accident. Okay. I think. 
So yeah, right, because that didn't involve needing to be able yeah. to run and all that right. weight on your back and everything, right? Yeah, but um, I took it very serious about what I did. So when I went back to foot launch, um, I just I set a date and a time and a place on when I wanted to get back into it, and I chose to go down to Florida and beach fly because laminar winds are make flying so easy. The launch and landing is just effortless. I mean, you can almost like hover. It's that simple. Okay. So I went down there by myself and uh, actually a good friend of mine, he was down there with his mother, Trey DePietro. And uh, so I stayed with him, but you know, he was doing things, he was busy and stuff like that. But I'd go to the beach every morning by myself and stay there. I camped out, I set up a camp and kited. and just right. kited my wing and practiced. Finally, I gained the confidence again that, okay, I'm ready to launch. And uh, just slowly went back into it and got into the process of uh, just regrouping with right. myself. So, and you got to take a step back when something like that happens. You don't need to be flying the wing that you were flying before. Right. Go back to the basics. Right. You know. So my first twenty flights when we started the school back up, uh, I went on a beginner glider, the same gliders we teach brand new students, just to gain those skills back and change the way I was flying and my setup habits and stuff like that. Right. So. So, yeah, so it was great learning. Scariest one was on our flight to uh, South North. <laughs> South North, uh, I, I called, a di- called it a day on myself because of the uh, really? yeah, the weather got pretty turbulent. And I looked over to the two buddies that I was flying with. Um, they were flying next to me. I don't know. You can see them like 20 yards away, 30 yards away. And they're literally yo-yos. You can just see them bouncing up and down because bouncing. of the, the thermals. Yeah. Now, how hard is that? So, like, you know, we had talked about early morning and then early evening are the best times because mm-hmm. the, the air is more smooth, less turbulent. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing one of those long flights, are you planning to only fly during the morning and then in, in the evening? Or are you trying to do an all-dayer where you're yeah. you're flying through what could be the, the worst time of the day to fly? Yep. Good question. Um, we, and that's why you have to pick the right day. We knew the distances that we were going to be traveling. We knew what it was going to take for us to, let's say, an unblemished, nothing happens wrong, perfect day. How is this going to play out? You know, when are we going to fly? You look for overcast days because obviously with the sun not heating up directly onto the earth, it's not going to create those thermals. So if we had a good overcast day with a tailwind for us, then it's perfect. Yeah, because those thermals are not going to develop. Well, that scary flight... We were going from, I don't even know where, Manuga or something, up to Bay City. It was our okay. last leg. And uh, it was all morning long. It was souped in, and we basically, it was the clouds and stuff in the overcast layer that was there was a lot thicker. This a storm, you know, developed. Well, it passed, and so we launched, but it was still foggy and so on and right. so forth. And we launched around 1 p.m., and as we were half hour into the flight, boom sun's come just out, cleared out just cleared out and uh it was gorgeous and it was flying in those conditions with puffy clouds and blue sky right and it was awesome like what you would the picturesque ideal yeah, just situation. awesome right. but then all of a sudden boom all of a sudden <laughs> boom you know you're feeling you know a little bit of turbulence you know the thermals are starting to pop and maybe it was a lot uh it had cleared up in that area a lot earlier than when we actually would would have gotten there right. so therefore the thermals were creating gotcha so um 
I was just getting bounced around and I had rotator cuff surgery done when, you know, 15 years ago. And you've got to be what's called active fly- piloting. So your hands are on the controls all the right. time to keep the stability of the wing overhead. And with my rotator cuff, I was like, I can't go another hour and a half like right. this. Uh, and I'm getting jacked and I didn't have a reserve either. So that's a very critical I was gonna, I was going to ask that, that question also. Yeah. Cause I don't fly in, in days or times or um, weather that would have made me get a reserve quite frankly right so i use it i guess this is a little backward thing when you're talking about it you're talking about a reserve parachute yes exactly right so if everything poop hits the fan right you throw a reserve do you, do you recommend that people yeah, fly with a reserve 100 100 absolutely um i used it as a i'm not going to wear a reserve because this is going to make me not fly in conditions that i shouldn't the same thing with wearing um, water safety floats. I don't wear water floats because I don't need them because I don't fly over water. water. <laughs> My just right. stupid logic, I guess, like that. But I found myself in a situation where it was getting pretty darn bumpy and it was getting turbulent and it didn't look like it was going to get much better. And so I threw. I basically looked for an LZ to put myself down, called our our chase vehicle to come and pick me up and met those guys where they had they had set down so, so they continued City. on huh yeah but that was by far my my scariest light just that yo know, that bounce and stuff because, yeah i mean we, I mean, when you're in a plane it can be scary when you're in a plane and, and you do one of those drops it's like oh man right. my stomach so i can only imagine what it's like and this is probably after you had your accident with breaking your back well, right that, that's all part of it yeah that's all <laughs> part of it and trust me and we have a very mutual understanding between the group that I do uh, um, long distance flights with. And that understanding is that at any time one of us can call it right. and say it's, it's not right. Whether that's for me or you or and any one of us, we have that open dialogue that this isn't right and these are the reasons why. And if they can you know, say that, hey, this is why I think I'm going to go and justify it right. and their skill level and why they think, then by all means, man, go for it. Right. We'll support you 100%. Well, I landed out, and uh, those guys continued on and made it up to uh, to Boeing City. So, yeah, but those are choices that you just have to grow with experience with this sport. Right. I always say, too, that um, the day that you stop learning in this sport is the day you got to quit because it's going to bite you. I mean, you want Well, you said the complacency. Yeah, right. exactly. And you should be constantly educating yourself on, you know, different things such as conditions and you know flight you know thermals and downdrafts and from a my or a from a micro meteorology level all the way up to a macro you know what's coming in from chicago right. you know so know your area but what's it like uh being in michigan and, and flying so obviously you know we yeah. we get winter for it feels like more of the year than yeah. we get summer uh and in my initial thought <laughs> at one point it was like who the hell is going flying in the winter apparently a lot of people uh-huh. so, <laughs> how many people snowmobile or ice fish in michigan right yeah I, but What's I, the difference? I just yeah but i just thought like i, I don't know i know like I mean, we get some crazy winds in the winter you know but i get it i guess like, like you said it comes down to looking at the forecast and what looks like it's coming down and yep. but uh you can the, fly the, all day the, in the warmth winter. the warmth factor yeah. really yeah, because the snow actually is going to reflect, so those thermals aren't building. Really? Yeah. Um, not the safest 
time, I guess, thing, but it certainly detracts from it as long as you have a good snow cover. Right. Um, around the lakes, absolutely. Those thermals aren't going to build. The wet or the uh, the air is the smoothest air I've ever flown in in the winter just because of the density of it. Um, literally, you just touch like your fingertip. But the, the, that's going to that's going to change the dynamics of your setup though isn't it because you're now you're adding extra weight because of your clothing the, yeah. mean, layers and yeah. and all that stuff yeah the coldness and the awkwardness of winter gear is the biggest deterrent for me now I, i'm not a fair weather flyer because i still fly in the winter but i certainly pick the, the days a lot right closer before when i first started i was flying yeah, just didn't oh, matter all right it's 12 well, oh my god let's, let's go. go right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you dumb dude <laughs> my paramotor's on a heater i got a heater blowing up to it so right. it doesn't seize up um <laughs> but yeah so those days are are over but um the gear that you can get just you know with all the the microfiber gears and stuff like right. that and the heated gloves and and stuff make things yeah certainly a lot easier but it's definitely more of a challenge um to do that in the in the winter time than it is the summertime but it it's equally it's as totally fun. possible yeah. yeah and that's why i go to florida too right i was so, gonna so that was my next question where what what would you consider the the best place you've flown like the coolest just because you know like i said i see these people fly through mountains or they fly through like the grand canyon looking areas and stuff like that and it's just like man that would be awesome yeah paradox of paramotoring my next flight is the best flight yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally i mean I would, if I was to give you a few, I've had some epic flights in Michigan, uh, particularly up by uh, Northport, Michigan, north okay. of Traverse City, All right. Sutton's it's Bay. Beautiful up there, right? Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. Um, I've had one of my best flights ever, um, right in uh, five miles from our school. Okay, um, just the conditions and everything about it, it was just unbelievable. Um, out in Utah. Flying out in Moab and Monument really? Valley and uh, that yeah, area. Yeah, like that's oh. got to be awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just that's so, got to be so cool. You feel like a like <laughs> now ant. now how how mm. consistent is the weather out there for being conducted for flying? Yeah, it's good. Um, it it usually has great weather, but I think you need to be more concerned about um the winds and them going around the uh, the buttes oh, that are out there. Yeah, yeah, and the monuments and stuff like that it creates a a lot of uh, turbulent weather right. that is totally unexpected, especially on the leeward or, you know, south of whichever way the, the right. wind is hitting that particular mon monument, that you're going to get rotor effects that are, they could be deadly, quite frankly. So you just got to be very mindful of where you're flying. Okay. Plus the uh, the altitude out there is um, so much different. I mean, when you're launched at 6,000 feet, it takes you forever to get off the ground. Really? Because so, the yeah. air is thinner, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. So... Same thing um, kind of in Michigan, you know, when we go out to, you know, areas that have elevation on their LZs, we got to tune our motors accordingly. Really? So, yeah, you got to adjust them for uh, for that. So, either put a little more fuel into it or mixture into it or so on and so forth. Yeah, so. See, and like, that's like, those are like the littler details, right, that exactly you may not may not know. Now, is that stuff that you cover when you, oh, yeah. in your class? 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, matter of fact, we get a very good... Um, understanding of each one of our students, their flying area as well. Right. And we'll do a uh, each individually, like, this is good, this is bad, you should fly here, you can't fly here, this is why, this is airspace, this is, you know, National right. Park, this is whatever, you know. So we'll un let them kind of look through it. And it gives them, uh, I guess, shows us if they're understanding what we're teaching by them kind of breaking it down, like, show me where you would fly. Right. Where would you launch from? And it lets us understand if they 
are picking the right spots right. and making the right if decisions. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we'll kind of, you know, work with them and show them, okay, this is why I think it would be a good spot. This is why I think that is probably not a good idea. Not now. You don't right. have that skill level yet. And that's based on length and distance of the launch and, you know, what's around right. it and so on. But, um, yeah. Yeah, obviously a beginner probably shouldn't be taken off in a tight field in a wooded area yeah right? mark doesn't invite over the beginners usually right <laughs> anymore so, yeah right so well yeah what uh how, what's the highest you've ever gone uh have, I, you, have you gone above the clouds oh god yeah 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 now that brings that's got its own little set of rules too doesn't it for how you go above and and then descend that back down through the clouds isn't it like supposed to be through an opening or something yeah and then you're supposed to always i mean yeah you don't fly through clouds right you're supposed okay. to always have uh, uh an open spot in the clouds picked out if you Correct. have to descend yep you always have to have a visual sight of the the ground um yeah and it's based on airspace too right what what class of airspace are you in? So what you can do as far as distances, minimums and maxes from clouds from basically above, below, you know, side to side and what those minimums are. So yeah, you have to have a very clear understanding of it, but it's ever changing. You know, you may have a cloud base that's at 700 feet, right? You know, and the next day you've got a cloud base at 18,000 feet. So flying above the clouds is relative to, to the conditions what, of that day. Yeah, exactly. But it's some of the most beautiful just it's got to look mind cool. I mean, yeah, it's cool it's, when you're in a plane and you're above the clouds and then you descend through and stuff like yeah. it's it's amazing. Uh so I can only imagine what it's like yeah. as my son says being strapped in a lawn chair. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, here's the deal is people ask me they're like, "Oh my god, what are you doing flying like that? It's crazy." We as paramotor pilots just feel so privileged like why isn't everybody doing this right how stupid are they not to be doing this this <laughs> look at this <laughs> you know there is a there is a, a changing of the spirit of the mind and the body and stuff like that when you go up above the clouds and you know it's just it's crazy the only way to explain it is to do it and uh you know we laugh when people say to us oh my god how can you do that it, you know that's really nuts i'm like how could you not be doing this? Right. Why are you so dumb not to do this? <laughs> so. I, another question too for your for your training school because I've seen you know again videos. Uh, do you use any type of simulated launching? Okay. So I've seen like like uh, you know there will be like a, a long rope or something that'll pull them up in the air to kind of simulate the the takeoff without actually having the motor and everything strapped to them. Yeah, we do several things. Um, that's called towing, and yep, yep we tow them. We, and and there's supposed to be like some specific ways that you tow people, absolutely. right? Because I've seen some really horrible videos too, where they're like, "Yeah, this should not have been done." Yep, yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, there's a <laughs> freedom. They're the like, "Yeah, let's tie a rope to the back of my truck," and yeah. then it's. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's it's amazing what some people. And you see people slam into the ground. Oh, it's I like, know. oh my god. Yeah, it's called lockout. Yeah. That well, happens. you know that was one of the things in in researching all this stuff we had brought up tucker before uh he does a video series where he watches the crashes and what's really yeah. interesting and i appreciate is most times people are watching blooper videos they're like oh look at this dumbass haha he's literally like dissecting what went wrong yeah. what could have been different to give you that insight which is i thought was really cool as a different kind of perspective on it yep. instead of just making fun of it like oh i'm this ace pilot with all this experience look at these dumbasses it was more like this shouldn't have happened this reason. They shouldn't be doing that. Like when you said the lockout, he was like, 
Yep. You got to cut that rope. You got to do something to release yourself because you're just going with the truck. Yep. So that, that was really interesting to see. Yeah. Tucker uh, has become such an ambassador for the sport and um, his followings, you know, of people yeah. and individuals is just off the charts. But what I love about the way he presents his content is first, he's a likable guy. Um, second, he gives back as far as knowledge and he does it unbiasedly. And there's a lot of times he'll do some reviews on equipment or something like that. And that might be not the thing that the manufacturer may want to hear if it's a negative thing, but it's his experience based on his thoughts and his ideas and what he actually felt. He's not, he doesn't have any second, third agenda of why he said that. And that was like when I was looking at the, one of the wings I was considering, uh, if I ever have the money to get into this, was was one, you know, like I watched a bunch of different videos and stuff on it, and he did one where he was trying to purposely collapse the wing yeah. and, and see if it would, you know, inflate fast and how it all went. And because he's got that skill level, I guess he feels confident enough to be able to do those things. Yep. Uh, so that was, that was very helpful, especially yeah. like just looking at beginner yeah. equipment and, you know, n- not being well-versed in this world. Yeah, we find that towing is instrumental to the success of our students at our school and i'll tell you why um students that when they actually get into the air by the tow machine it's not the most uh it's not doesn't replicate flight quite frankly or launching by yourself but what it does is builds the confidence of themselves being comfortable in the air now we don't release them off the actual tow tow, line there is a there is a emergency release Release. that's there in case it goes sideways never once had to use it okay ever um, because we do a good job of explaining exactly what it's going to feel like, look like, and be like when you're in there, when you're up there. But it builds that confidence for them not to butt slide. So they've got to run. And the first toe, I would say 50% of them will all butt slide or pick their feet up too soon. Too soon. Yeah. But that second one, they're getting better. By that third, they're locked in. Is, is, that, is that just like a... Do you think that the butt slide, the the getting into the the seat too soon, is that just because you're starting to feel that lift, that take? So is it just yeah. like a mental thing? Just yeah, we call it taking an imitation to sit. So, <laughs> so what it is is that as soon as that you know glider is taking that weight and lifting you off, your immediate reaction is I'm flying. Right. Well, you're not. You're not yet. You gotta still continue to run. Keep your feet down underneath you. And, uh, and so we're on the comms with them. So right. we, we're talking yeah. them through this whole process. So as far as that aspect, they we know when we can show them, too. We video that. So we show them when in their progression of, okay, look at your first right. one. Look at your second one. Now look at this and what you're doing. That is the correct way. Remember that feeling. Right. Okay? And then as far as landing, you know, you get the understanding of what it actually takes as far as your flare authority. You know, what and when and how soon should you start your flare for your landing? Right. And so by them understanding those and gaining that, that is the last step before first flights, basically, is we'll tow them. And then if they did well, if the weather permits, we're flying them as soon as possible. How nerve wracking is is that as an instructor? So, right? I mean, like, uh, I mean, come on, right? I mean, like, you're putting people up in the air, uh, and then they got to come down, and it's like, I mean, like, with the tow rope, right? Like, you, uh, you that's assisted, but then it's like, oh, shit, now they're going to really do this for real. Like, that's got to be pretty fucking nerve-wracking. Yeah, me and, uh, <coughs> me and, me and Justin are, uh, we've had some, some, like, tense moments because of it. 
And but here's what we do do, which is great. And Bob, our instructor, is he's 65, I think I want to say. He's been I don't know 6,000 flights as a as a uh, um, skydiver. He's got a demeanor that's just calm. You know, he doesn't ever get overexcited. He ever never gets you know underexcited. Right. Just even. Just even. Yeah, and he is <laughs> he is like our sounding board. He's just got like, he's the, the steel man of steel, like just steel nerves. Right, right. So, you know, Justin and I are one, the ones taking basically the responsibility and the liability of launching them. Bob is now doing it as well. But um, when we get together and debrief these students, between Justin, Bob, and I, we're talking about each and every one of them and what we should be looking for and expecting from that student based on where they've you know, gradually move through their training and where right. they're And there's been a lot of times that we just say, you know, this one needs this. This one's not ready to go. This one be go. Right. And again, just like the decision process of um, cross-country flying with the guys, we have a very clear understanding of if one of us says no, right, then the other ones are muted. Okay. And it's a no. And we'll go, and why? Because let's say he, he just wasn't handling his wing well and he's right. pulling way left. Let's correct it tomorrow. Let's, you know, work with him and get him right and straighten away. And so we'll obviously hone in and correct that. So so there's a very clear understanding, um, which will alleviate some of that stress. My biggest stress is the, uh, the kiting because this is the first time they're in the flight, in the air. Um, but Justin has become such an amazing toe um, operator. Uh, operator, yeah, <laughs> literally. And he's got his cut knife right there. Um, we've never been even mildly close to a lockout situation whatsoever and there's safety um mechanisms that are built into our toe okay specifically um for towing you know paragliders and so just the gear ratio and stuff like that and shutting it down and blah 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 but so towing is the most scary but yes um it's never uh, surgical device sales in 20 years in the or is less stressful being a power paraglider pilot i've or uh, instructor i have more stress in doing this than any other thing I've ever done just because you got somebody's life right in your hand and that's why it takes seven to ten days with us and that's why we want these students to stay with us we want right. to make sure they're getting the right rest they're nourishing themselves they're ready to go and by spending that time you can you know you become kind of a psychologist if you will reading you know what what, what they kind of need state they're in right yeah what they need as far as you know some confidence or you know, just to help them out or, you know, let's have a conversation. How are you feeling? What are your thoughts? You know, where are you at with this? And it's hard. It's hard. Literally, it's hard. I uh, I wasn't a great student. I'll be the first one to admit <laughs> it. I mean, it took me a long time um, learning how to kite the wing. And I got frustrated and I got down on myself. And you know. Now, so with, with kiting, what, so, and to explain that is when you have the wing and that's like the initial getting it up in the air, right? Yeah. And then staying under it and then it, it, it's because it's at that point, it's inflated. It's trying to generate lift to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. So how much like air can you get from that? If you're like in, in Michigan and in a flat ground area, yeah. obviously like I've seen people on hills where they can <laughs> run and they can glide down the hill a little bit, you know, like a couple maybe 10 feet off the ground or something. Right. Uh, what, what's that like here in Michigan? And then like, how, how important is that? And is that something that you'd recommend people before they, if they're interested in the sport, like 
practicing if they know someone or mm-hmm. uh, like just getting used to the kiting effect before jumping full right. you know, full feet into this? Kiting is uh, by far the, the number one skill. You have to master and continue to master and practice as you move through your career as a PPG pilot. Um, I kite all the time. I enjoy it. For me, it's a kind of a, a workout slash exercise I've heard slash it can be pretty, fun. Pretty it's physical, fun. Right? It's fun. I mean, I really, truly enjoy that aspect of this sport. If it's not flyable, I'm going to go out and kite. And I usually kite before uh, before flights, you yeah. know, just for fun. You know, just have some fun. I'll kite with the students as well. But it's um, if the more you know, the longer you do that, and understanding your wing, um, the better you'll be able to react if something happens like a little deflation or something right. when you're taking off. So it's it's critical. But um, Michigan's got some really good free flight spots up in the, the North Michigan. Okay. Um, up in uh, Ludington, there's one. I believe there's one in uh, by kind of by Sleepy Bear Dunes. Dunes, okay. Yeah. And then um, there's one more. I can't think of it. But So, like, for you, when you're kiting down here, what does that yeah. look like? Is that, so I mean, are, you, are you getting <clears throat> off the ground? No. No, no. no. Unless it's really, really kicking. And I actually challenge myself to go out there on days that it, the wind is kicking because right. it's fun for me. You know, I know how to, you know, basically dampen that wing so that I'm not going to get jacked. It's called being plucked. <laughs> so it'll if you suck get a, you right up. Huh? Yeah, well, you'll get a gust of wind that will literally, you know, take that glider and it could it could do you can do some serious damage to yourself. Okay. And we've had students that want to go out and buy their glider and they'll go out and practice and one in particular <laughs> he went out and uh you know he called bob because he makes harnesses or kiting harnesses for us okay he goes hey i just had so-and-so call me he broke his harness kiting harness i'm like what he goes yeah he was out kiting and sure enough it was fifth blown fifteen twenty on <laughs> this and right you know the guy got basically picked up and dragged and so on and so forth um, so that, you know, knowing and understanding, you know, the winds that you're working with is a, is a pretty critical, um, uh, point for someone that's new. Uh, so you, so you said uh, the, the kiting harness, can you, can you utilize your, uh, paramotor harness as to, to kite or no? No, it's too heavy. Too heavy. Yeah. And plus it's fixed <clears> on <throat> your motor. It's not fixed on your motor, but right, it's. But you clip into yeah. it. Right. And you, I mean, Bob, Bob Harris's kiting harnesses are. 130 150 bucks or something like that okay and uh they're loose and you know so you're not gonna get hot you know you can yeah in, in reality yes can you kite with your paramotor harness yes you can okay um do you want to is it ideal it? No. no it's not All right you want to have something something different but um yeah so no uh and no winds so in michigan here there's two ways to launch there's a forward launch and a reverse launch a forward launch is when the wing is behind you, and, right? And you just run forward, and that wing comes up behind you, and you get on the power and you take off. And that's done with low minimal winds. Um, I'd say six miles an hour and below is when you do a forward launch. How much does how much does the wing need to inflate? All the way. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm saying like how much wind uh, speed does it need to inflate? Like if if it feels like there's no wind, yeah, will running, yeah. Just inflate that thing. Oh yeah, and keep it inflated. One hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, one hundred percent. Matter of fact, you know, with some of these lightweight fabrics now that are available, two or three good power steps forward, and that thing's up above you. The key is that's crazy. The key is keeping it there. There, right? You know, making the right inputs to okay. to keep it up there, and that's what the practicing of the kiting is all about. 
Um, anything above six miles an hour is what we use as far as a reverse launch. Here in Michigan, um, for newbies, because of the rotor effect and the trees and, and you know the forage and everything we've got around here, we do not recommend students to be flying in more than 10 miles an hour okay. with the wind um, just because there's a lot of turbulence. Right. You know, and there's a lot of rotor and things that they don't know. So, um, and flying at the right place. Now, you go out to the beach, you know, say out to Ludington or something like that or Holland, and you're on the beach. I mean, you can fly 15 miles an hour. You can fly all day. So, just depends. But, yeah. Yeah. Just basically. So, how's the reverse launch work then? So, the reverse launch, good question. Um, so, you are now facing the glider. So, your hands are crossed. So this is when they have their hands crossed. I've seen that. Yeah. And then you kind of do the turnaround move. Yep. So by being able to see the wing as you're pulling it up, the wing's going to come up quicker because of the higher winds. You know, that relative wind's f- filling in the cells. So is this the line. wind at your back? Yes. So the wind's blowing? Exactly. Okay. Yep. So what you're doing is you bring it up, and now it's up and above you. And as soon as it stabilizes, you just make that turn. The turn and uncross your arms. Exactly right. Gotcha. And then move forward. And well. is that a is that an easier method of launching? You know what? That's a really good question because it's based on the students. And I find some students just see that. Like people that fly RC planes, they fly backwards. You know, they're looking at the plane. The plane's yeah. coming towards them. I can't do it. Everything's in reverse right. for them. So I, they, I got into drone racing. Yeah. And... I can't, like, just look at the drone and fly it. I have to, like, be in its perspective to fly. It's, right. Yeah. It's but tough. there is a time, and this is, I was not a good reverse kiter. I just, mentally, I wasn't, you know, clicking right. as well. But there'll be a time, and it's funny watching students' faces as that change happens of when they get it. And it's pretty quick, and it won't ever leave them, you know. They'll be struggling, 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 right. struggling, struggling. We're making, like, different suggestions. All right, try this, try this, try this. You know, just go ahead and feel it right and left. Because, basically, you're pulling everything. Everything becomes in reverse now for you. Right. You know, your right's your left tip. Your, your, when you got your arms crossed. Yeah, like that, exactly. Yeah. So, there's a uh, there's a really fun part of instructing when they actually get it. And they're like, oh, okay. And as soon as that tick or that awareness comes you know they're good to go and then they love it reverses are awesome but the thing is in michigan we just don't get a whole lot of chances or times to fly reverse launches just because quite frankly you know it's dangerous flying right if it's when the winds are that much yeah when so i think you know maybe i've got 96 percent of my launches are forward launches okay 96.23 so (laughs) so do you you fly uh close to home when when you know, because yeah. you're trying to get in the air as much as possible. Obviously, you're not going to drive out to the yeah. to the airfield all the time. Well, actually, now, yeah. Good how question. Is this, how is how has this whole thing affected your relationship? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Carrie, did you call him? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, she. We've known each other for a long, long time. Eighteen and nineteen years old, and you know, we understand our passions and right. uh we support each other with those but there's a there's times that it's very right. inconvenient well, I mean, for when both you break of your us back, I, I, I feel like it's hard as a spouse to still yeah. support that passion yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's it's <laughs> a lot of i tread the water very lightly <laughs> um yeah and plus actually being away now for 
like as I mentioned before, as far right. as school, you know, you're gone for nine, ten days, and I come back, and you know, garbage has to go out, the right. mail has to be picked up, the bills have to be paid. How many how many classes do you do usually uh, a year? And uh, most of your classes are only during the summer, right? Yeah, we start up in <clears throat> April, late April. Okay, um, and then we finish up. Uh, um, our last class is the end of September, so within that time frame, we fill basically eight, nine, ten classes okay. based on demand. Right. So we don't uh, fill. We have six slots for each class. Okay. So there's three instructors and six students. Just a good ratio, right? You know, they get a lot of attention, and uh, so it works out very well. So it's pretty minimum. I mean, you know, our season goes quick, and uh, so typically we'll have a class. And then that class will finish up and we'll go back to our respective homes and typically have a full week off unless there's a fly-in that we want to attend. And so we'll go to a fly-in on a weekend and fly-ins for power paragliding, typically a four-day event. We'll start, okay. up, start on Thursday, finish up on a Sunday. So we'll be, uh, we attend those just for... Uh, now, is that where it's just like, hey, guys, we're all just going to fly into this area? Like, literally, is it you fly in? Or no, there's scheduled they're... events. Like, you camp there. You right. camp right there on the field. I mean, these things are, uh, there's several of them out there in the country right now that you'll have two, 300 pilots that'll come there. And so, be... most people just drive in and, yeah. and bring oh, yeah. a, a trailer yeah. with them? Yeah, I, I don't really. That's the beauty about this sport is there's such a camaraderie between the PPG pilots that we love being around each other. Right. And, you know sharing our passion together and flying with each other so we camp everybody camps you know and cooks and hangs out and you know it's a lot of fun in that regard now does They're, your wife come along to those things yeah yeah um she comes to the ones that she enjoys obviously for you know the fact that it's a nice place like up in northport right. it's an awesome flying um there's a couple flyings that uh, she would definitely want to go but one of which was canceled unfortunately just because does of the she popular. fly i've been oh so obviously the hang glider didn't take either, huh? No, no. <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been dropping seeds ever so gingerly, and you know I want to get her kiting the wing because first and foremost, kiting the wing is a great athletic type um, opportunity that uh, she's very active. You know she loves outdoors and hiking and biking and you know keeping herself busy and stuff, and I think she would just absolutely enjoy it. But she, um, she just doesn't feel like uh, her confidence, you know. It's, right. She feels as if it's more complicated than actually what it is, frankly. And so, uh, but I don't want to push her. Right. I want this to be her decision just, yeah. to do it. I mean, the last thing I'm going to do is try to push her push into her a situation. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can see, especially with something like that where you're in the air <clears throat> yeah. and things can go wrong not being in that right mental state. Yep. Yeah. I wish, I, you know, this sport, unfortunately, there's, God, it's got to be a, 90% men, 10% right. women. Now that's changing because the gear is getting lighter and the equipment's getting better and more women are just finally starting to get into it. So now more women are becoming interested in it. And the guys that, like I said, you get bit by it, I mean, it becomes your passion. Right. And to have your spouse be able to enjoy that with you. Right. Yeah, man, I mean, nothing better. You know, so. where, do you, where do you see the sport going? And what do you think about the uh, electric motors? Yeah, so um, I've seen a couple of those now too. So electrics, simple thing with electrics, they got to figure figure out the battery um, weight as well as uh, duration. Uh, right now, I think they're up to about thirty minutes of gotcha. flight time with it, and you know the trade off's not worth it yet. Not enough, yeah. Um, but it's coming. It's definitely coming. Um, right now, we're an unregulated sport. Um, we have guidelines that we follow through what's called FAR one hundred and three, and 
um, the FAA basically has given us the ability to self-regulate ourselves. Right. Isn't it, isn't it, I mean, there's like, besides like the airspace, there's obviously regulated airspace that you're not supposed to fly in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the basic rules as far as like, we talked about like flying through the clouds and stuff like that. Yeah. And then isn't the, the like general, the main regulation is just, you're not supposed to fly over populated areas. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> nice. You have been doing your research. Let's get you going, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's, you basically nailed it. Um, there's, <laughs> when you look at the far book, I mean, it's about that thick and our regulations are one page <laughs> and they're simple. Right. Um, but the growth of this sport and the, uh, I guess, I don't want to say disrespect, but the lack of knowledge from pilots is what's going to create regulation. Because it's going to just bring it more and more to the yeah. the forefront, to the attention. Well, right? somebody's going to get hit. Right. You know, they're going to be flying up in an area where a Cessna or a, let's just call it a or they shouldn't commercial be. jet comes. Yeah, <laughs> commercial jet comes by at 600 miles an hour and just clocks them. And right. then the FAA gets involved. FAA could care less if we kill ourselves. But anytime we're going to put any other right. person in or, danger, we'll we'll be getting hit pretty hard but it's unfortunate that uh, a lot of people just haven't taken in the understanding of don't fly over congested area right. don't be buzzing over neighborhoods yeah you know don't don't be doing stupid stuff that is right gonna gather the attention of uh of regulators that could change this and more importantly don't post it on a social media public site there is i mean and and that's one of the things with social media that's it it gives an outlet for people to just want to share everything it was funny that was something i can't remember where i saw it but it was like uh if you're a paramotor or a powered paraglider and you don't have a a go and you don't have a GoPro and right. a YouTube account. What are you doing? Like you know, because right. it's like so common for everyone just wants to document. And I get that because no. like, man, some of the views and stuff. Yeah. Like who doesn't want to share that? Right. But I agree. Like people are really stupid with the, with the stuff. Not even just par- powered paraglide. Like period. Yeah. People are stupid with some of the stuff that they post. But yeah. just because it's like you're incriminating yourself, you're bringing unwanted or unneeded or absolutely right. just attention that you know. Just will kill yeah, the sport. Right. And it, you know what? In some regards, there's times that I think that regulation might be a good thing. And there's, sure. there's some benefits to that. Um, and then there's times that I like the ability to make those decisions. Right. But And I think that helps when you, when you find out that this sport doesn't require a license. Does, you know what I mean? Like the, the barrier to entry is purely just Your decision. Ac- acquiring the equipment your choice and means right that's it. like that's the only barrier it's not like you you don't have to go take a class nope. you should but you don't have to uh i think that's where the appeal comes from right like yeah. to be like one of the cheapest ways of getting into the air and then there's no regulation besides a few little rules to make sure that you're mindful of like right that that freedom i think is what makes it attractive and it would suck to a degree right to have that kind of taken away because of a few people making bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. And but it, un- it's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's always yeah. it's usually the few that spoil it for the rest, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's, uh, I guess, I don't know, best thing to see. We've trained a lot of pilots, commercial pilots, and uh, they they love this They because it's a, what this flight represents to them is what they 
had fell in love with about, about flying. And, you know, now it's become commercial airlines. They're pushing a button and, yeah. you know, it's it's really, it's You're just making their, sure the machine's yeah, doing it. they're not it. flying, right. you know. This kind of flying is, it's just, it's a whole different element and game. And it's just, I mean, it's so, I guess, I don't know. It's my, it's my church. It's my religion. It's my passion. And people are finding out about it. But, you know, I, do, I just can't understand how somebody could throw themselves into the air <laughs> not knowing what they should be right you know knowing <laughs> or but like you said I, I think part of that is because of the social media making it look like it's easy right making right. it look like it's just too easy right. but and, you can die right you can die from this yeah very easily well, that's yeah. my my son. You know, he's like, Dad, I don't. If you if you actually got that stuff, I would sabotage it. And I was like, Oh, so you can kill me? He's like, No, so you can't even get up in the air. I'm not even gonna let you go up in the air. I'm just gonna sabotage it. And I was like, Why? He's like, Cause you could die. And I was like, Dylan, I could die driving to work. Right. Yeah, you know, I could die because I ate too much of, of <laughs> a certain food and it clogged my arteries and gave me a heart. Like, yeah. You 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 can die from so many different ways. So I'm just gonna right. not do something that looks really fucking fun. Yeah. Just because. You're gonna die in the sport. Based on your decision and the way that you understand right. the safety and and, and from sport. what I've read, the the most two most common ways are water mm-hmm. or people flying dangerously or above their skill level. Yeah, like especially with the people like trying to fly. It was funny. I think one of the articles was like uh, the. One of the, one of the most deaths is, is flying close to the ground, mm-hmm. and the record's been set by like a handful of people, and all those people are dead, Be- <laughs> because they were. You I mean you're to set those records of how close you can fly to the ground? Right. I mean you're taking a chance of something going wrong, being that close to the ground. Right. And usually it's at you know decent speed because those are the people that have been with a lot of experience and they're looking for that thrill. I'm not looking for that thrill. I just want to go fucking cruise, right. see some beautiful sights. Yep. You know, like that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to go fly dangerously, but for some people that's what they do. Like I you can watch those videos all day long. Those paragliders that are doing the loop the loops and flips and all that stuff. I got no interest in that nonsense. Right. You know. You're no different than 95% of right. our students. They come in and say that and a month and a half later you'll fly with us and all of a sudden you're doing these little baby wingovers, yeah. and then these wingovers yeah, get bigger, gradually, yep. and then they get bigger, yep. and then they get bigger, and then like, <clears throat> what about that no acro policy? You yeah, <laughs> you become good quick, right? You really, yeah, and the, the the bug bites you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for me, I'm you know, <clears throat> I'm looking to just yep the, the smooth. I'm I'm too old now to start doing all the crazy nonsense. Right, but you're right. Yeah. Low acro is the dumbest thing you probably be doing. Um, you know, there's. It's just understanding, you know, what right. the consequences, risk, yeah. reward, just like right. any other sport. Well, and that's, that's like like when I was looking at, you know, a uh, uh, wingsuit. Yeah. Same thing. Like you can go fly in a wingsuit out in right. the open, but it's the it's the uh, the proximity flying yeah. that's got everyone like, man, that looks so amazing. Be flying so close to the ground at those speeds, and but those guys die. Right. And they do a lot of planning, but it's like one wrong navigation and they die. Right. You know, and it's it's game over. I mean, there's been quite a few deaths in that in yeah. that sport where there was like one guy. He was one of the most famous in that sport, cameraman. I mean, he recorded some of the, like the footage that you see. It's almost always this guy recording it. And they flew, there was three of them, and they uh, they had planned this trip, and they they do a lot of research and as far as, like, the, the flight You're talking Shane McConkey? I can't remember what the guy's name was. Okay. No, this is this uh, a European guy. Okay. Um, 
<clears throat> and he, uh, yeah, they took a wrong turn in their flight plan and they flew right into a farmer's field. Like they were going down the mountain and they hit a flat spot because this was a plateau that this farmer had and they just made a wrong turn. And I mean, you're doing like a hundred miles an hour right into the ground, Yeah, you know, and all three of them, I think they, all three of them died. Oh my God. Yeah. But I mean, and that was just a wrong turn not recognizing the terrain and then these guys they did it constantly like Pilot so, so it's exactly it's crazy yeah. uh but if you're on top <clears throat> of it and you know i guess we also talk a lot about you you don't you know what you don't i mean what is that saying you, you, you don't know what you don't know you don't know what you don't know and uh you know everybody thinks that they do i did too but right. you don't know what you don't know and we do our best to try to you know lay it out to to the guys and i guess that's why that safety class that i have really could put some reality into it because i don't talk about it during the week or you know that i broke my back i don't tell the story and stuff like that and they'll see me fly and they'll see you know justin fly and they'll you know go through the whole process and then we don't teach it until the the last class after they've flown right and uh and like uh so now you've got to put the reality but now let's yeah give you the reality yeah and we want them to have that understanding of poop happens and it happens right. quick and you know you just stay on top of it and we're there for our guys i mean michigan as i mentioned at the very beginning is such a great unique group of pilots that we're all here for each other and that's good and bad and what i mean by that is somebody's doing something stupid and you know posting crap that they shouldn't or flying in areas that they shouldn't we have a discussion right you know and they're hard discussions but the right thing to do to not only you know, make that person hopefully aware of it and a better understanding of this, but also to preserve our sport. So, Well, that's two hours. Holy crap. Yeah, what are you talking yeah, about, Willis? Yeah, it's actually two hours let's, and 11 minutes let's of talk recording. Another, let's talk another two hours about me <laughs> and butt fans. Right. <laughs> My favorite two subjects. So, so uh, wait, wait. i got to put you on the spot. Yeah, no problem. When are you training? I don't know yet. Uh, What's holding you back? <laughs> Finance. Right at this point, it's it's money. Yeah, um, fair enough. Uh, the the boat was a recent acquisition that I wasn't looking to make. It was uh, what boat you buy? Uh, it's actually it was my girlfriend's grandfather's boat. It's a 19 footer bay liner. Um, it was uh, I wasn't in the market for a boat. I had just bought a kayak for fishing, mm-hmm. and uh, this came up he wanted to sell his boat because i mean he's in his 80s and he doesn't move around as much anymore so it was uh you know rather go to a family member or something before he you know he's just put it out there yeah. uh checked it out and it's funny because my dad had just gotten a boat like the year before you know like uh, he'd done some work and it was a trade mm-hmm. so he got a boat but we got it it runs and everything's great but this one just man it was he decked it out with all this fishing it's a a, a bow rider so the the bow's open yeah. and he had it converted to a fishing seat up there and there's a platform like he sunk a bunch of money into the, all the extra fishing stuff on this uh and it was just a good deal and yeah. i was like fuck it let's do it and then it's funny because you know, I paid like around ten grand for it, and it's like yeah. the 2007. It's not that old. He had very limited amount of hours on it because he could only take it out once or twice a year. So it's not like you know, like right. he beat the crap out of it. And then he's a mechanic; he meticulously took care of the engine. You know, so uh, yeah, like nothing wrong with this thing at all. Right. Uh, and it was just like, okay, let's well, fine. You know, and yeah. I mean, we I live down 16 mile it takes me 10 15 minutes to get to lake sinclair yeah nice you know uh we've got two family houses that are on lake orion so it's like i got places to go with the boat yeah uh 
I get know, it. It's just like, screw it. Let's do it. And then, and I found out about the powered paragliding all after I got the boat. So, right. you know, right. I was like, don't worry, guys. I'm not going to sell the boat to go get a power, you know, a paragliding outfit. Right. You know, because it's a family thing. But, uh, yeah, so at this point now, it's just the finances. So that's why I gave myself like five years to kind of yeah. get stuff. That's yeah. my target. You know, well, get stuff in, in order and uh, definitely you know, yeah, you do gotta, a class. You got to do it when you're ready and when it makes sense right that's smart to to do it people will call us and be like what's the cheapest gear i can get right this is flying (laughs) you're throwing yourself in the air people look at like used gear and stuff too and there's dangers with that also i uh you know i got two kids i got a 15 year old and a 10 year old yeah and so you know just uh wait until the time is right and just stack up that that money i mean you know put aside my i get it powered paragliding so So I tell them, like, quit getting mad at me because it's not happening yet. Right. So, well, they do finance now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. 200 bucks a month. I'm sure they do. State of the art gear. <laughs> but yeah, enjoy your boat, and that's so, awesome. But yeah. no, it is is definitely uh, something that's on their horizon. Right. Like, well, if we can help, we're here to. Like I said, like seeing that, and and again, the appeal being that the the regulations are so low, the the barrier to entry yeah isn't as high as some other things like yeah right. you know like i got into the drone flying i wanted to do the the wingsuit and like i said you know it's like 200 skydives before people even teach you how to use a wingsuit like i don't got time for all that and i i saw the drone racing and i would fly uh first person view so there's a camera on the drone and you wear a headset so you can see what the drone sees and then you're flying uh, so I got into that and that's like, I mean, it makes your stomach drop yeah. and, and it's cool cause you can fly. Uh, I'm just not as good as these kids in the, <laughs> in the, in the like, uh, in the professional, uh, oh, God, yeah. aspect, you know, like I, I would race and stuff for fun, but I mean, I only completed a few races because you crash, you're out for the race and then you got to fix whatever you did to it. If you did broke anything, you know, right. uh, and then now with the show, with having the boat, uh, I find less and less time to yeah. fly. Yeah. So now I'm thinking about selling that and my son's into RC car racing. We were just doing that yesterday up in, uh, in Utica, Michigan. There's a, a big Larry's RC big yeah. shop. They got an indoor track, a couple indoor tracks, uh, and they do races every Sunday and Tuesday. So he wants cool. to get into racing that. So I was thinking about selling my, my drone stuff and then just getting one of those so I can race with him. Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, do stuff with him but yeah the whole family's pretty much against this they all think i'm crazy and i said fuck it you know what i you, didn't you, tell my pro- I didn't you, tell my you family. live once you know <laughs> you live once and in, in it in it the the, the the ability to be able to fly yeah. and the just seems amazing and just to be up there yeah. uh yeah it's it's really appealing and like you said though people fall in love with that idea they get a taste of it and it might not be really what they want to do yeah. here's know? the here's what we do is we have a family day for the students, spouses, you know, kids, whatever it is, that after they've had a minimum of five, six flights, they bring, we offer them to tell their families to come out and visit and spend the time. And it makes a huge difference for their understanding of this sport, um, just because they can see it. Mm-hmm. They can see what it's take what yeah. it takes to do this. They're up front, literally right there right. on the front lines. That's different with than it. just watching a video. Totally, <laughs> totally. And this, the understanding of the safety aspect of it, changes for them and makes them more comfortable and they get it so i'll offer that to you as well or really any oh yeah any one of your listens or so and that's, come that's what i was going to say what is uh what's the best way yeah to uh to get a hold of you if anyone's interested in yeah in getting into paramotoring uh 
What's your what's your website? Yeah, so fly my PPG. So um, the Facebook page, like I said, everybody lives. And that's on my Facebook. as an M I for Michigan. Yeah. So fly F L Y M I PPG dot com, and that'll actually that domain will direct you right to our Facebook page. Okay. Um, we're located in Lansing. Also, I could be reached at two four eight five two zero eight 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 nine, and or if uh, if they want to email me, um, Gmail or uh, fly my PPG at Gmail. Dot com. Okay. So we're available. Um, we're here to answer questions and to uh, actually we offer tandem instructional flights. Right. So as and, well. And that's I mean if you want to get a taste of what it's like yeah. without. Yep. If you don't know and you're not sure about it and you don't know how you're going to react but you're interested. And you can do that without committing to a training, right? No, it's. Uh, uh, is, or is that part of the training? No, it's actually um, it's something that we offer that uh, for people that are just interested. It's so a, it's okay. a setup thing. It's, I mean, there's a lot of factors that have to go into it, weather. Right, and guidelines yeah. and stuff like that. It's uh, I think we are charging one hundred and fifty dollars, and it's a educational flight. So we okay. teach them about power paragliding. We go through the gear, the wings, the motors. We kind of give them a real hands-on approach. Then we take them out for a flight, and we give them the controls. So we wow. let them fly a little bit, okay. so they can get an understanding of what it's all about, and bring them down and uh, land, and, and kind of go from there. How hard so, is that? tandem to like get up in the air not hard no, at all not hard at all no foot launch my partner <clears throat> justin he he does foot launch tandems <laughs> and that can be uh is it so are what you're what you were referring to was that like a trike, trike. Okay. yeah two-seater trike and yeah. what's the weight limit on that to for a tandem flight it depends on the the uh all right the wings and, 310 yeah we got you <laughs> okay <laughs> actually i do well it's close it's if, cool. if justin takes you okay <laughs> justin's gotta get the lighter guy huh? justin's in 180 he could probably take you yeah i, I think you and i together would be <laughs> pushing more, it more of a go-kart <laughs> than flying so oh, see but, i told you it'd be funny we'd be laughing <laughs> i know finally jesus all this serious crap well thanks again mike i yeah, appreciate you coming you. out uh and and talking about your passion and I it's something it. that uh yeah, I'm really looking forward to experiencing yeah. it, and I'm definitely going to get a hold of you for the uh, for the tandem to, to check that out. Yeah, for sure, man. So that'd be awesome just to get off, man. It's I'm, awesome. I don't know. It's probably dangerous, too, because then I'm just going to really be bit by the Oh, bug. yeah, you'll commit. We'll, we'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> this is an easy thing. This is an easy sell. Right. So. But, again, <laughs> appreciate you. you coming out. Everyone, thanks for listening to The Get Up. Thanks for listening to The Get Up. Make sure to check out thegetupshow.com for more information on this episode's guests. While you're there, check out other episodes, leave a comment, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, shoot an email to contact at thegetupshow.com. Don't forget to follow, like, and share on Facebook at The Get Up Show Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at The Get Up Show, and subscribe to The Get Up YouTube channel. The Get Up is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, YouTube, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.